LSG Media presents a Game of Thrones podcast. Welcome back to the Game of Thrones podcast by LSG Media. I'm Dean and I'm joined by Jessica. And today we're going to be talking about the fifth episode of the sixth season titled The Door, directed by good friend of Stephen King, Jack Bender. And I'm looking forward to getting into this episode today. There's going to be a lot to talk about. Boy, was that a heart-wrenching episode. If you felt nothing, then you are a soulless demon sent from the seven hells. Uh, you might as well just call yourself the Night King if you felt nothing watching this episode. And uh, if that's the case, I guess that's kind of cool. Night King's kind of cool. Minus the fact that he contributed to Hodor's death. He did, essentially. But how you doing this evening, Jessica? Doing all right, you know. Hanging in there? Trying my best. It's been hard. Uh, I just finished rewatching the episode and cried. And then I watched, um, you know, Benioff and Weiss talk about the episode and then cried at that too. So I'm basically an emotional basket case, which is not normal for me. Normally, I'm really put together. I like and it. And untouched by things that are sad. This is not true. But between Hodor and the Dire Wolf, it's been a rough go for me. You're not fooling any of our usual listeners. They know you're an emotional beast. They think I'm a cold, <laughs> soulless. They might. I don't know. What's the drink of choice tonight, Jessica? Today I'm drinking vodka with soda water. That's very healthy of you. Well, you know, in a sense. I typically Low drink sugar. red wine um, in honor of you know Cersei and Tyrion and everybody else who drinks red wine. But tonight I had to go real heavy because I don't know how else to make it through. Honestly, today I'm going straight water to <laughs> replenish my tears and sweat. So that's what I got. Seems like I'm going straight. Straight water. Water. To replenish Holy my spring is the brand. tears and sweat. Well, I hope you guys are having a good evening. This episode is being recorded live on Mixler. That's mixlr.com slash lsg-media, mixlr.com slash lsg-media. And we got a full chat room right now. Well, not full. There's about 35 people in there. They're all chit-chatting. They're uh, hoping for more people to join them. I see a lot of new names. A lot of new names. Hello, new people. I, uh, I'm glad that you guys turned up. Very cool. They're talking about Game of Thrones. They're talking about what they're drinking. They're having a good time. We're having a good time. We're all trying to have a good time, despite how uh, this episode was r- real heart-wrenching at the end. Wow. Like after a funeral when you all go out to dinner and you have a few too many drinks and start laughing about the good times. Yeah. And then cry hysterically in your car afterwards. That's us right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's time to get moving. I think we... Uh, we worked out ahead of time what we were going to do in terms of how we want to run this. But this, if this is your first time listening, a couple of things. What we like to do is we don't go scene by scene like we do when we record a film podcast, which is our science fiction film podcast show. What we do do... Nominated for two podcast awards. Oh, wow. Was it? Last I heard. Crazy. Well, what I do, what I do say is this. We try to go by location and handle the location and the characters in each of the locations, and that's what we're going to do today. Today, we wanted to start with something kind of strong, throw in the middle stuff, and then end, of course, on the Hodor brand stuff, and uh, and that'll be it. We will then get to some listener comments and update you on our Deadpool. The Deadpool is something Jessica and I just randomly started at the beginning of the season, and uh, one of our listeners and friends, John Marginson, has been organizing this beautifully and uh, if you want to see what the Deadpool is and what our picks are for people who decided to join they can go to I believe it's thronesdeadpool.libertystreetgeek.net it is now on the website you don't just have to be on Facebook we've rectified that with the 
brilliance of John and his uh, HTML skill set. So Thrones, Deadpool.LibertyStreetGeek.net. If you want to go over there right now while you're listening, you can take a look at the order. Uh, of course, spoilers. This should go without saying. We will be spoiling. We try not to spoil future events if we know of them, but we don't. We just speculate, and then uh, that's going to be the end of it. So, again, thank you for turning up. We are ready to do this. And, uh, Jessica, please tell the good people what order we're going to be tackling the door. Well, we want to start strong and end strong, although most of this episode was pretty strong. Let's yeah, be honest. It was good it episode. It didn't have a lot of weak points. Uh, we're going to start at the wall, or Castle Black, as Dean likes to say. We are then going to move on to Bravos, followed by the Iron Islands, then Marine, then uh, Danny. I wrote Dothraki, but it's really just Danny. Sure. Um, it's, actually, it's really just Jorah, let's be honest. And then we're finally going to go to Bran and Hodor and all that shit. Why don't we do a couple of initial impressions before we tackle Castle Black? Do you want to start or do you want me to start? You can start. I always start. You do. I was giving you the out there. That was that nice of me? And you took it. Yeah. Strong play. That's you right. would be very good at the Game of Thrones. I know. All right, so this is a very good episode of television that is overshadowed by an incredible closing sequence. Uh, I think that there's a lot of awesome stuff going on here. I want to talk about the Iron Islands. I want to say that me and a few others guessed accurately on Danny needing a Navy. I'm very excited about how this is going to play out. I'm looking forward to talking a little bit about the intrigue between Sansa, Sansa and Baelish. Uh, getting into all of that, and of course, the brand store line, which, boy, has it picked up this season. It is incredibly good. And uh, there's a lot going on in this episode. It's the middle of the season. you got five episodes left to get a lot done, and I feel like a lot happened. There's a lot to speculate on, some big revealing things like, wow, hey, the Night King was made by, oh, the children. Crazy! And as Jessica was just telling me beforehand, isn't it funny that this is something that we don't even think about because... We're thinking of poor Hodor. Jeez, you know, it's a lot of stuff is overshadowed by a phenomenal ending. And uh, you tend to focus on Hodor and what it means. And is there time travel? And is there a DeLorean? And is there a time paradox? And all this bullshit. I can't do time travel. But all the show. stuff. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But all the other stuff uh, we'll, we'll get to. And yes, the chat's reminding me we had a lovely full frontal, although a wart-ridden penis. That's how we can get on the show, honestly. Tanko Chicken get a wart-ridden penis clutched in the hands of an actor who might be just as whiny as Joffrey was in season one. Uh, so sorry about that. Well, let's hop to it. Castle Black. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you going to give, give me give something? Can I give impressions or no? Yeah. Is this just about you and what you believe? It's just about me. All right, we're oh going to go to commercial. God. And then when we come back... All right, go ahead. What do you got? I agree that this was... You a better tell me something, because if you just say, what a good episode. Wow, excellent. What a good episode. It was excellent. I really liked everything about it. Um, it was really cool. You're fired. Uh, no, honestly, this was a really good episode, and it's crazy because I feel like so many parts of this could have been the ending of the episode. Specifically, I was talking to Dean about, I was actually talking to somebody I work with about the fact that two seasons ago or a season ago or two episodes ago, we could have ended with finding out how the Night King was made by this you know, little girl. It could have ended on that scene, and we would have been like, oh my God, and that's all we would have right. talked about for a week. And now it's buried amongst a million other good scenes to the point where it's like, oh, I forgot that that happened. Wow, crazy. Um, and when I talk about great scenes, uh, Sansa is freaking awesome. Littlefinger has returned, who I know everyone hates, but I love. Um, Jorah is the handsomest he's ever been in this episode, honestly, and I love him. Uh, I like Euron Greyjoy. I also have a crush on him, but we'll get there. 
I mean, there's a lot of good shit here. And then, you know, we kill some people that I love, a.k.a. a dire wolf in Hodor. Indeed. And there was a penis, so. Excellent. Couple of nice breasts, if I do say so myself, too. All right. So let's uh, lead the way, please, with your skillful ways. Sure. So we're hanging out at the wall, a.k.a. Castle Black, and Sansa's sewing some stuff, because, I don't know, that's what she does sometimes. And she gets a message. Whoa, 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 whoa. All because she gets a couple of big ideas about being this uh, woman of the world doesn't mean she has to forsake her duties of sewing the men's clothes. So I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. Okay? She still has a duty to sew men's clothes for them because, let's face it, she's pretty useless otherwise. Anyway, Sansa's sewing some clothes (laughs) and she gets a message with a very familiar bird in the little emblem and we know what's happening. Oh, it's the Baelish. The return of Lord Baelish. The return of Lord Baelish. I have a lot of questions for you, Jessica. You are going to be interrogated strongly tonight. Oh, I'm ready. Strongly. I'm ready. Still think Littlefinger's handsome. I'm going to throw it out there. Boy. I don't care how creepy uh, You is. are a damaged, damaged woman. <clears throat> Every time like a handsome older gentleman enters the show, I'm like, I think he's my new favorite, but I don't know. Yeah, well, you are a fickle beast. So... Sansa and Baelish meet in Molestown. I love how Lady Brienne just saunters into the room. <laughs> it's so excellent. And Littlefinger's like, what the fuck? He's like, Lady Brienne, I'm scared. I want to speak like this with my mouth. I'm scared. I've always tried to protect you, my lady. Baelish is in trouble. Uh, yeah. But not so fast, right? Okay. Yeah. Not fast. so fast. So she confronts him immediately. Yeah, she's not playing around. Sansa is a badass. It's good to see you unharmed, he says. And she's like, well, if you didn't know, you're an idiot. But if you did know, you're my enemy. You know, he didn't hurt my face. He needed my face, face at which point I wrote, yeesh. And then uh, what do you think he did? I mean, he's forcing him to guess. Yeah, this is pretty fucked up. Like Sansa really, really wants to make him uncomfortable. And, and I mean, she's fucking mad at him. This is not like she's going to turn around tomorrow and be like, all right, we can be friends again. She's pissed. This scene is insane. I like it a lot. I like that, first of all, Aiden Gillen, that's, I think, his name, the actor, his discomfort is outstanding. Agreed. At every turn, you think that he is going to just turn and bolt. You can see him working out the things in his head, like, what is about to happen right now? Is Sansa going to have Bren run me through? Because I have no defense against that. Is she going to lock me up? Is she going to incarcerate me? He had to be thinking, based on the way Sansa confronted him, that he could be at the end of his rope here. He had to be. I hope he was wearing his brown pants. Yeah. Like that pirate. Somebody already made a joke in the chat about making water, so don't worry. That's been covered. <laughs> um, what interests me about this is Littlefinger has always been the manipulator, and he was teaching Sansa to be like him. He was grooming her because he thought he could use her to get to power, or he saw something in her. And this now he's the at the end point. Yep, the right. I know they, they, is that what you're getting at? They said that she is. No, uh, no, no, no. I'll get okay, to that stuff. Okay. But I'm talking about this interaction just oh, between okay. the two Go of ahead. them. Yep, I'm sorry. All of this has happened between them. And he has manipulated everybody in his entire life. And he's, right. he's never had to, to sweat. And here he is with this young woman who he kind of probably feels like he groomed a little about sure. telling her how she was powerful and she could do all those things. And suddenly he does not have the upper hand anymore with her. And this is a different position for Littlefinger to be in, which is funny because we're going to see Varys in the same position later in the episode, feeling right. uncomfortable. Yep. We don't see Littlefinger like this ever. Yes. Have you ever seen him uncomfortable before? No, not once. And here it is. Yep. I like it. 
I can still feel what he did in my body standing here right now. Good Lord. I don't believe you anymore, she tells him. I don't need you anymore. You can't even protect yourself if I tell Brienne to cut you down. That is a revealing moment to me between these two characters because like you just said, he's never really felt uncomfortable. He's never really felt that I am in control of this situation and that he was definitely concerned because Brienne has no love for Baelish. She will cut him down well, that's for sure. easily if given the order to, but she won't simply murder a lord. You can't just murder lords, right? No, she's just going to murder whoever Sansa tells her to murder. Correct. And Stannis, she murdered him too. But what a line and what a revelation and what perception by Sansa to <sighs> say, you freed me from monsters who murdered my family and you gave me to monsters who murdered my family. Yeah, I wrote that one down so, too. So in other words, Baelish, how have you helped me? How have you made things better by handing me over to somebody like Ramsey Bolton, who has a reputation, who Baelish is outright lying when he doesn't guess. He knows what she had to face when this was going on. Now, we talked about this. We talked about, does he really believe he's helping her? Does he believe that this is a move? But there's something to talk about here because he mentions Brendan the Blackfish. Yeah, if you guys do not remember Brendan the Blackfish, he was in the episode. He was in some episodes. The Red Wedding. He wasn't, wasn't he at the Red Wedding. He was not at oh. the Red Wedding. His son was at the Red Wedding. Right, close. His son is Edmer. And was he the one who left to go to the bathroom and was never seen again? Who was that? Edmer. No. Was Edmer? Brendan. I don't think. I think he stayed behind. But don't you remember at the Red Wedding how there was somebody there who left to go to the bathroom before it all happened? Maybe it was. No, we never saw again. Maybe it was him. Chat, can somebody tell me who that was, please? I think in the book he wasn't at the Red Wedding. I think he stayed behind. I'm pretty sure he stayed behind in the book. But maybe in the show he didn't. Maybe he took off. But he's Catelyn's uncle, okay? This guy's Catelyn Stark's uncle. I think maybe half uncle, to be precise. The chat says that Blackfish was there and he went to the bathroom. So I was correct. Oh, in the book? Okay, perfect. No, in, in the TV show. He says in the book to oh. Michael Stewart. So thank you for that info chat. This is the beauty of the chat. So yeah, the blackfish fleed. That's Catelyn's uncle. I think it's a half uncle technically, right? He's also Edmer's uncle because Edmer's Catelyn's sister. I mean, brother. Catelyn and Edmer. You know, it's funny. When you think back on the Red Wedding, Edmer was marrying Rosalind Frey and neither one of them were killed. So you had this whole red wedding and the two getting married actually lived. They just got to enjoy their lives together. So just as a reminder, Ed, just as a reminder, Edmir was is now a hostage of the phrase, technically. He's he's even though he's married, he is a hostage. Much like Theon was kind of a hostage of the Starks after the Greyjoys rebellion. Uh, so Brendan the Blackfish gets away, and that's Catelyn's uncle. So that's who they're talking about. He's one of the guys in River Run. Apparently he has some kind of army and uh and in, in, in that is what he's saying. They're telling me that it's a full uncle. Because I thought, for some reason, I thought that um, I thought that uh, there was different parents involved in That's that. That's why we have a chat, so they can tell us when we're wrong. That's fine. Honestly. It doesn't matter. It's very helpful. Uncle, half uncle, whatever. Uncle's close enough to me. But um, what is the play here by Baelish? I don't let me, know let if me I ask believe him. Oh, okay. I don't know if I believe him either what is he trying if he thinks we said this last time we said if he think we said self-preservation is Baelish's thing if Sansa becomes a heel or or an, or a thorn in the side of that ideal she's becomes expendable to him now 
He did let her, she did let him go. I doubt he wants to murder Sansa. I think that's jumping to conclusions. But I also think that he can't count her among his allies. So if Peter Baelish cannot count among his allies the North, because she says, we'll take the North ourselves, then you got a couple of problems. Because she knows the truth about Lissa Aaron, which will get him executed. I mean, Baelish loses all his power if that becomes the truth, right? Oh, correct. Yon Royce will put him out the moon door. 100%. Especially if, and, and listen, I know he has a lot of sway over Robin Aaron, but if Robin Aaron finds out that his mother, who he was very, who he was very, very much loved was, his mother. He was really into her since he suckled at her teeth until he was 14. Yes, he loved his mother in those delicious teats. And I think he likes him more than, I think he likes his mom more than he likes Peter's gifts. And I think if Robin knew the truth, Baelish would go through the fucking moon door. And he Agreed. still might. So if you're Peter Baelish and you think, all right, Sansa's not in the fold. She's going to take the North back by himself. By herself. By herself with Jon Snow's help. I don't play into this at all. I, I have no real claim to the Eerie. That's Robin's. I'm not going to marry Robin. All I am is his uncle, technically stepdad, but uncle is what he's always been known as. Mm -hmm. Baelish could really find his power vanishing quickly. He could be in a position where all he has left is the fingers, which is a small house that has real, no real power. He has no influence with anybody except maybe Cersei because he last they spoke, they were buddies. I, I feel like Baelish is, is starting to lose his grip lose his power, which is bad news. And this is something, a theme we see recurring, right? Right. We see, oddly enough, we see uh, uh, some power from male characters shrinking in the face of feminine characters. In the two mirroring characters, Varys with Ravana, I think is her name. I don't know her name. I just call her that. We see Hot him we, we see him shrinking to her and we see Baelish shrinking to Sansa in what she knows. And we can't forget that Sansa is the loose end in the truth about what happened to Liz Aaron, and you can't throw, you cannot throw ladies through moon doors. You cannot Fuck throw no. the Lady of the Eerie through the moon door without it's repercussions. Not allowed. Now it was glorious when she got tossed, but Robin probably knows the truth, right? He will know the truth if Sansa wants him to. I guess is my point. This all this stuff was very interesting to me because there were two characters in the show that I felt like. I'm not going to say they were unkillable because I didn't feel that, but I felt like we're, we're very powerful because of their social game, as we would call it in their reality TV world. And that's Varys and Littlefinger. I never thought like Baelish is going to get caught and he's going to get killed. Something bad's going to happen to him. I've always felt like he was pretty well set up with all playing all the sides and doing what he's doing. And for the first time ever, I can't help but think this guy is not going to make it out of this. He's not. I thought the show might end with him and Varys just chilling together on the throne. That's not going to happen. He might not make it. I'll tell you what. It's fascinating to think. How, how about this? It's fascinating to imagine that if you would have asked me how's when, when he manipulated Jan Royce, well, when he manipulated Robin Aaron and got Jan Royce to be like, all right, gather the Knights of the Vale. We need to rescue Sansa. It felt like Lord Baelish had a lot of power. And in one interaction, it evaporates. And that is great writing, in my opinion. Yeah. There's nothing lazy about it. There's nothing shitty about it. When you've created such a thriving world with deep relationships, thousands of pages, this kind of thing where a man's power can seemingly evaporate in minutes because of one interaction with somebody who knows the truth about some treachery that he did 
It is fascinating, and that's what makes this show so good. Now, do you know what I think, though? Tell me what you think's going on with this Brendan the Blackfish talk. It's not talk. even with the Brendan the Blackfish talk, per se. But as all this goes on, I still think there's a bit of subtle manipulation, and you see that it takes hold. Sansa says to Peter, I have an army. And he says, your brother's army? Half-brother? Mm-hmm. And then you'll remember that, or we'll talk about it later, um, where Dava says, hey, John is not a Stark. doesn't have the Stark name. And Sansa says, but I do. Right. And then she backpedals and she's like, but John is just as much of a Stark as me. she doesn't want John to feel bad. Right, right. But you don't think that that idea is getting in her head. Well, this is John's army and he's my brother. He's not me. I need my own army. Mm-hmm. And I'm a Stark. Like, I feel like yes. he's planting that seed in her head because he knows deep down that Sansa is somebody too who probably wants to be powerful. Mm-hmm. He sees that in her. Sure. And I still think as he's walking away from her that that him saying your brother's army is him manipulating her. He's trying to drive a wedge between her and John. I also think it's important to note that that is a that is might seem like a desperate play. However, if there's one thing we know about Peter Baelish, I believe his quote was some episodes ago, chaos is a ladder. ladder. And if there's no chaos, there is no ladder. So you need chaos to have a ladder. And it appears that by throwing out this type of dissenting idea that germinates inside her brain, he's creating chaos. He admitted that he was part of Joffrey's assassination purely for chaos sake. There's no real benefit to him to make that move, except to create this whole other chain of events that he thinks he can control. If he thinks he's losing control and he brings up Brendan the Blackfish and he makes these little manipulative remarks... That could be him trying to make sure that chaos, that even though it appears that Baelish's powers are evaporating, that chaos does not in fact evaporate. Because without chaos, there is no ladder as far as he's concerned. So he needs to maintain that or he's fucked. So it is a good parting thing. Now, I am dubious about Brendan the Blackfish. Yeah, I don't think he's really there. I don't believe it. I don't think Brendan the Blackfish is dead. I don't think he's dead either. I think he's coming back. I think that was a lie because why did he bring it up the way he brought it up? It's just everything about it is suspicious. And then Sansa lying for him. That's not suspicious. But I think more and more this shows that something's going to go wrong. She sent Brienne off and Brienne's like, I don't like to leave you. And now I'm like, are we going to lose Brienne here? Is this going to be our end of Brienne? Mm. Because that's what I'm thinking now. Okay. We might as well kill off everybody we love at this point. Yeah. You're probably right about that because why have any hope whatsoever? Uh, I mean, seems pointless. So we could think that outside of chaos, is there any speculative thinking we can do about why she would do that? I think Sansa's smart not to go to the river run to why look for Why she would do him. what? Why, why, why Littlefinger would, would say this. Is there any actual move here or is it simply chaos for chaos sake like he likes to no, do? No, I think there's an actual move. Because if Sansa needs him again for some reason. You're talking about Brendan the Blackfish? I'm talking about all of it. I'm talking about Brendan the Blackfish if they get there and he's not there and Bran is dead. Mm-hmm. And or if her and John end up being at odds with each other and wanting to do different things and she needs his army. I think he's trying to make it so that she needs him again because he needs her if he wants to get what he wants. Right. Well, without her, again, he, she becomes a total liability to him. If, if, he's, if he has no control over her, he becomes a, he, he's fucked. I don't even think he's afraid that Sansa will rat him out. I just think he knows that he needs Sansa to get the power that he wants. Right. But I mean, if he becomes an enemy of Sansa, she certainly will, I think. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. But Which uh, is possible based on the standoff alone. I mean, she threatened him with death if she, she chose to give it to him, you know. But you're right. Those parting words were strong and they definitely affected her behavior in the next scene. 
Yes. Which we'll talk about now. So later we see uh, Jon Snow, Sansa, and the rest of the company trying to figure out some war strategy, and they start to break down the numbers. We can't defend the North from the Walkers and the South from the Boltons. We need more men. Aside from the Starks and the Boltons, the most powerful houses are the Umbers, the Karstarks, and the Manderleys. Okay? Davos and Sansa discuss the Karstarks. Karstarks. Jesus. The Umbers can hang, though. She says the Umbers can hang. Davos isn't sure they can count on the Karstarks since Rob beheaded their father, but Sansa thinks that they will and wonders what Davos knows of the North. I want to so, murder you every time you say Sansa, honestly. So Sansa, so Sansa's newfound power is nice, but she needs to seek Davos's counsel. Let me tell you something, Game of Thrones characters. If you do not heed Davos's advice, it will be your undoing. It always is. Listen to what Davos is saying. I may not know the North, but I know men, and the bravest of them do not want their families skinned for a lost cause. 100% accurate. And I think their play here is smart. Let's rally the smaller houses. All of them together, John says, equal these houses that remain. You can't def- You definitely can't rely on the car stocks because of the history there, right? Right. Nobody came to the aid of House Stark when the Boltons betrayed their family. And Davos is right once again. What do you think about this dynamic between Davos and Sansa? Do you think she takes the lesson? No. You don't think she thinks da- she, you think she thinks Davos give me your um don't need to ask questions. You can just tell me. I think that Sansa is starting to think long term about power, about the things that she can do because she is a Stark. And I think she's starting to get a bit of a big head about this. And this is not in a, a bad way. I like this Sansa, like this strong, confident, in a leadership position Sansa. And I think no matter what, when they're like, okay, we'll go rally these smaller houses, I still think Sansa's thinking the big picture. I still think she is thinking, but my name can change everything. The North remembers. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yep. Gotcha. So John brings up the smaller houses, as I suggest, and then, and then Sansa says the North does remember, as you mentioned. And uh, that's when Davos suggests that John doesn't have the Stark name. It's a kind of an uncomfortable moment. Very important. But I do, she says. But I do. They start to talk about the Blackfish. He's a legend. He's a legendary knight. He's- she lies to John. Yes. Lies to John. Bran gives her a look like, say what? Hmm. And then later when Sansa and Bran meet privately, Brienne, uh, Sansa wants Brienne to ride there, calls John brooding, which is adorable. Oh my God, so funny. Doesn't trust Davos and the Red Woman. Which- and that wilding fellow with the beard. <laughs> the Red. That's funny. So Brienne's going to go to Riveron on behalf of Sansa. I hope she makes it back so that her and Tormund can consummate their relationship. Honestly. What's going on at River Run, I wonder? Who is she going to run into? Either the Blackfish or the Freys. We haven't seen anything with River Run. Oh, and here's something I just remembered. The last time we, th- I think we saw outside of the Red Wedding, Red Wedding, do you remember when Brendan the Blackfish, when Ed Mertelli was trying to light the boat on fire and he couldn't hit it? <laughs> that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> and then Brendan, and then Brendan the Blackfish was like, give me the fucking bow, you mope. And he shot the arrow and lit the thing. That was Catelyn's father, right? That died. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure. Incredible. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's who was dying there. Catelyn's father or something like that. And he couldn't hit the boat with the fucking arrows. What? So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I I wonder what I wonder what's going on at River Run. Uh, I have no idea. I do know that armies are on the move, though. And that's something we have to remember. If you have Tyrell armies on the move, if you have an army at River Run, you have all this shit going on in the north. If you have Kevin Lannister maybe doing something with the Lannister army, is there anything going on with the King's Landing army, the Gold Cloaks? There's a lot of moving parts right now, and I wonder where things are going to end up falling. We haven't seen Dorne. 
outside of an assassination. Thank God, honestly. But there's plenty of shit going on. I, I would rather watch the rom-com of Brienne and Tormund than see a second of Dorne. Yes. Let's be honest. I'd rather watch, you know, Brienne and Tormund than most shows on TV. So. Yeah, that's for sure. It's just being truthful. So anyway, later we... So she dispatches Brienne to go. Go do this thing. I have no clue what she's going to find out there. I hope she finds the blackfish because I think that's awesome. I hope she doesn't end up dead because I wish she was in my Deadpool right now because I do not feel good about her right, chances. Right. But then again, if I don't feel good about her chances, she'll probably live forever based on my current standing in the Deadpool. Absolutely. So later we see Sansa gifting a John, gifting John a very nice embroidery piece. Looks suspiciously like Ned Starks did once upon a time. Well, she says it's supposed to. Boy, they're starting to make this man look like Ned Stark. Oh, that fucking shit is on purpose. He's even got the same length hair. with this fucking man bun, which I want to chop off, honestly. Sorry to anybody who has a man bun in the chat or is into man buns. No. So Tormund flashes Brianna's smile, as we mentioned, and then Dolores Ed stays behind to guard the wall. And then uh, so funny. <laughs> this is a great scene. Should we close the gate, Lord Commander? And he's like, I'm not the Lord Commander. And he's like, Oh, wait, actually, close the bloody gate. I am. <laughs> JK. So great stuff there. I like this a lot. I like you know what I like about Sansa here? You know what I like about uh, what we're seeing? You know what I don't like is how you call her Sansa and I want to kill you. The, the best part of Lady Sansa oh is the fact that she has been through so much shit that she is not relying on anybody any one individual to be responsible for her safety going forward. This is something that I love. And this is something that I think is important. I think it's something that, I think it shows growth in her. True. She is not allowing another person to be responsible for her own safety. Never again. She's not making that mistake. And I appreciate that. I appreciate it too. The chat's uh, getting crazy because somebody hopped in and dropped an ad. I just blocked that user. So don't worry. They're gone. Fuck, who do these people think they are? I don't want to listen to your show, sir. You've made it if somebody comes in and they start bombarding you with ads. So there you go. Yeah, that's right. All right. So let us move to Bravos. So it starts with that shit that I can't stand anymore. I'm so sick of Arya fighting that annoying girl. I'm like, should I fast forward? Two girls without names do battle. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, I, I am really ready to like fast forward when I see this shit. I'm like, here we go, more bullshit and bravos that I don't care about. This would be hard to cover this fight if you were like a podcast, like if you were a fight announcer, you'd be like, and the lady with no name, it's the lady with no name. Holy shit, the lady with no name. I guess you just have to go by their blondie and, and brunetti. I don't know. Brunetti? <laughs> Is that what they call them? It's lady brunetti and lady blonde. I don't know. I don't know how you call this fight, but anyway, it's a good battle. And then she says, you'll never be one of us, Lady Stark. And Jockin says what? He says, yeah, she's right. A girl has a point. Or maybe he, she just says she has a point. I don't know. He probably says a girl. He likes to say that shit. He likes to do that mysterious talk. And again, I did like Jockin Hagar better when he was helping her escape from those people like mm. three seasons ago. So Jockin tells Sans about the many-faced god. Uh, none of the first faceless ones were ever born to lords and ladies. That's why he's saying she has a point. They were slaves from the mines of Illyria. The first learned how to shed his face and give it to the gift to and give that gift to others. Who was the first one? A man has no name. Yeah, obviously Arya. What did you think he was going to say? You walked right into that come one. On. You walked right into that door. Oh, oh boy. He taught others and gifts were given. They found the free city of Bravos. I did not know that. I had no idea the faceless men actually found Bravos. That's pretty awesome. Sure. 
These faces are the first faceless men. Jacken uh, kind of tempts her with some desire here by saying, do you wish to be? And she's like, no. And then he hands her the poison and we learn that Lady Crane becomes the target. I feel so, like she must be in the book because I've heard that name before. Do you perhaps. know that? I don't know anything about her. Oh, I don't know. Someone in the chat will obviously tell me. But she does get a death sentence. A girl gets a second chance. One way or will another. Will not be a third. One way or another, right? So this next scene is awesome. I fucking think this is great television. I wanted to see this whole play, honestly. This is amazing. Arya goes to watch the play of Robert and Ned's death, essentially. The best part about this to me, one, it's it's hilarious. I mean, it's hilarious and, and sad at the same time. It's right. great. When we were watching it the first time, Dean's like, this is better than any high school theater I've ever seen. But I don't know. I used to do great Especially high school theater. Especially the tits. So. Anyway, I just like that Arya's the with dicks. the crowd and she's laughing and laughing when it's telling Robert's story. But then when they're making fun of Ned, all of a sudden she's like, mm. oh. And I'm like, oh, poor Robert. I hope somebody loves him and wouldn't laugh at the parts about him. Mm. But his children are fucking not really his children. So I guess... Maybe like if Gendry was there, he would not laugh. He'd be like, wait a second. It's possible. That's all. I'm just thinking about him. What a deliberate move by Jacquin. This was 100% on purpose to see where she is. Can she let go of... He, he wanted to shake her up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got to be uh, It's gotta be hard to watch this when you're Arya. Uh, and that is the best part about this. This deliberate moment to put her in front of this type of thing to see if a girl with no name truly has no name or is she completely bothered by her family and what happened to her family. That's it. Obviously, she knows it's a test, but it doesn't mean that she's not going to react to it. Right. And it's funny because the story that they're telling is making fun of all of them, but it's showing Ned Stark in a really bad light and things that we know aren't true, that he wanted to be king, that he wanted the Iron Throne. We know that that's not the case. And it shows Cersei in a very kind light where she's like, let's spare him, Joffrey. Let's not right. kill him. And even Joffrey's like, okay, we won't kill him, but they just do. So it's interesting. We're making fun of the Lannisters kind of, but we're also showing them in a very kind light in comparison to how we're showing Ned Stark, like a, a dingus that wants power. Yep. I don't know how else to describe him. It's awesome. So uh, in this in the chat, Senator Tamula says, I think there is a very interesting game going on here, and he knows she can't ever be one of them. I kind of agree with that. 100% agree. Like he's trying to show her that maybe? I think he is trying to show her that. Um, I think he's trying to, to help her come to realize that. I think try as Jack and Mike, they're all human beings despite the power they have, and I suspect that he feels something for her. He is connected to Arya in a certain way, going way back to her escape before she came into the contact with the Hound. I mean, he was responsible for her getting away. Yeah, he was a badass then. He gifted her wishes to kill people, to get her out of there. Why? So, I'm forced to ask this. There's no way that Jockin doesn't know that Needle is buried under rocks at the docks of Bravos. There's no way he doesn't know this. And I think he's... And I think he knows that Arya knows this. And I think he's waiting for Arya to either toss that sword or not. And I know we keep coming back to this needle thing, but it's really significant as it relates to her identity and to her connection to her family. The last thing that she has that comes from her family, something that her brother John made her, John Snow, of course, a fellow outcast. 
right? And, you know, going back to the talk with Sansa and John, one of the things that was established was is that Sansa was a little shit, right? Her and John didn't get along so well because Sansa was close to her mother. And of course, her mother was not fond of John at all. No, she was a bitch. Callan was honestly. not fond of John at all because it represented Ned's infidelity. Now you have Arya. And you have Arya, who is also feeling like an outcast, has always felt that way in the family, even though she loved Ned and got along with him. Ned let her keep the sword. Ned had Cereal Florel teacher. Ned indulged the girl. But in the back of Ned's mind, he probably always thought, once this girl grows up, she's going to get married like she's supposed to. Right. But she never, I think she never really thought that. So between John and Arya, there is a deep connection because they're kind of on the outs, more out in the outs in that they're not going to fulfill these preordained things that they think they're supposed to fill as part of their family duty. And that is great storytelling to me because John gives her needle, they're connected. Needle is a huge connection. And until it goes in the bay, she is never going to commit to this. She might. Agreed. She might kill this lady and go toss needle and be done. And now she's in the order. And I don't know. But then, honestly, do we give a shit about Arya if she becomes a faceless man? I guess now? it depends. I guess I it depends where her time in this thing takes her. I mean, you, you, why do you say you don't give a shit at all? You just would write her off. You wouldn't be curious as to if they, obviously, they're going to write her into the main story somehow. Sure. So she becomes a faceless man. She comes back and helps the Starks. But if she's not Arya anymore, do I care about her character? Because I care about Arya. So she's not Arya. If she really just becomes a faceless man and she really lets go of all of that, then what do I care about her character? It could just be anybody going in and helping the Starks. Why? Just because she looks like one if she's not one anymore. Right. So I guess we're getting existential here. What yeah. makes her one and That's what right. makes her not? We're going to you know- do that right now. <laughs> Okay. Uh, we're talking existential philosophy. Or like, I, I don't care if you're drinking water. I'm drinking vodka. We're still going to talk about this, goddammit. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> you weirdo. But that's my point. We can say, is she or isn't she? Will we ever really know? Is Needle the key? If Needle goes in the bay, do we then go, okay, Arya is no longer Arya. She's now a girl with no name. Do we truly believe that? I kind of do because I feel like it's the only way for us to physically see that she has let go of Arya. There's no other way for us to figure it as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, so Arya goes to watch the play and then she leaves and she's interacting backstage a little bit, watching. Clever girl. So she gets back there and she watches Lady Crane interact backstage. She seems like a nice woman. She's a good actress. She's a good actress. The Sansa actress is jealous. Yes. Sansa or Cersei? The Sansa actress is jealous okay. of Cersei. Okay, gotcha. Lady Crane. Gotcha. So a girl will poison the rum, she says, but she won't get any face help, right? She makes a note that Crane is a good actress and a decent woman. Does death only come for the decent, Jockin says. And then Arya asks, who wants her dead? What does it mean? Blah, blah, blah. So she starts asking questions. A servant does not ask questions. Indeed. A servant does not ask questions. Arya will never be a servant. That's not who Arya is, or my existential crisis will continue, and I will not like her anymore. I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. I think asking Arya to not ask questions, not question authority, is would have to be a total destruction of the Arya that we know and a complete rebirth into an Arya that we don't know. Agreed. I, I agree with you on and that. And I don't like sure. that new Arya. Do we want to talk about the penis just to like bring it up again so that everybody knows? Like we could. I got it. In so the wait, penis is L- L- Lady Crane's the Cersei actress? Yes, that's pretty. Uh, it, that, that, there's a weird irony because Cersei. Realize that I'm trying. I couldn't remember. So, but in Cersei's on her list. 
pretty cool. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, right? you're right. Think about oh, I that. like that. Huh? I like that. Oh, damn. Um. Anyways, there was a penis, and um, my friend who says she won't watch the show until there's as much male nudity as female nudity. We're one penis closer, so one day I'm gonna get her on that that shit. She's gonna watch this. I like it. We're working our way up slowly. We're just gonna stop showing boobs every time we show a penis. So let me ask you something: If you had to rate this episode one out of five penises, how many would you give it? And probably four and three quarters, if that's possible. All right. All right. Can we just round up? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> you know how Jamie Lomas writes his blog and he always rates it as things from the episode? Yes. I wish he could listen to this podcast before he wrote his blog so that he would rate it with penises. There you go. I'm down. But sadly, he will have already written it by the time he <laughs> listens to this and he's going to be like, what the fuck? Why were they talking about that? <laughs> Outstanding. So we traveled across the narrow sea to Bravos from Castle Black. But I think we are going to... No, we're going to talk about the Iron Islands first. Go back across the Iron Islands, across Westeros, all the way to the Iron Islands. We don't have to do this like a map. This isn't like flying a plane or taking a train. We can go wherever we want. It's like having... It's like you can just beam me up, Scotty, and put me in the Iron Islands. Really? Yeah, that's right. Wow, okay. I'm down. But I kind of like the idea of walking around a map. It's so medieval to me. Showing little dots. Like the map in Harry Potter with the little feet go so you can watch where people are. The little feetsies? Yeah. Speaking of feetsies, your cup's doing feetsies. I know. Thanks to who? Thanks to Andrea Ramos, Ramos. lover of penises in the show <laughs> <laughs> and Harry Potter. Yeah, it's true. All right. Iron Islands or Pike. The King's Mood is held. Talk yeah, to it me. is. What do you like about this? <laughs> I like a lot about this, honestly. I think it's so ironic. Um, Hold on. Who's making fun of the Iron Islands? Who's saying they don't care about the Greyjoys? Who blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I still don't really care about them, but the scene is pretty good. Mm -hmm. Here's why I liked it. Yara's like, I want to be queen. And the men are like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) You're a woman and we're sexist. There's literally no women here voting. So no. Then Theon gives his awesome fucking speech about why Yara should be queen. Mm -hmm. And then all these bros bros are like, hey, a bro told us this woman should be a leader. So we should probably vote for her. Basically. Ah, sexism as oh, it continues the but sexism. There's the, but there's the rub. Got no dick. Yeah, he does have no dick. That's true. So this gets more ironic as your own Greyjoy takes the lead. But we'll get there when we get there because it's so ridiculous. Anyways, they don't want a queen. There's never been a queen. Your own Greyjoy is like, hey, what's up? I'm your own Greyjoy. I'm really handsome in like a Ewan McGregor kind of way, and I'm pretty into him. I like this guy. Mm-hmm. This is where things get crazy. This is crazy stuff. So you've explained to me what happens in the scene. Now, tell me about some of your observations. I observe that, again, the, the sexism, the we don't want a queen to rule, and then First a man all, says gonna, a queen to rule. I'm going to stop you right okay, there. Fine. It's Westeros. Okay. They're sexist. No, but this is what's Get good. over it. No, but this is what's good <laughs> about it. I, no, I am over it, but listen, this is ironic. They're like, we don't want her to be queen. We've never had a queen. Mm-hmm. Euron Greyjoy comes in. He does all his shit. He says, we're going to build a fleet. We're going to build a fleet. For a fucking queen. So she can rule everything. No, you're not hearing him correctly. No, he's going to bang her and be the king. That's not exactly what it is. What he does say is, when I pull up and I jump off my ship and I show her my cock, she's going to fall in love with it. Oh, wait, no, she won't. She'll fall in love with my fleet. That's what it was. These people do not want Yara, a great warrior who they have fought under to be their queen. Instead, they want to build a fleet to give to another queen so she can take control with her help. You could say Is that not ironic? You could see you Don't could you, you, think? you could say they're the irony born. Oh shit! Mic drop! 
That's it tonight, folks. The we got irony go. born. Oh, oh, oh. They paid the irony price. I'm all night. Oof. He's drinking water, guys. Water. Water. When I pull up a more boat. Is it not ironic? Come on. Is it not ironic? But the best part about this ludicrous scene is how he's like, oh, I'm going to build a fucking fleet of a thousand warships, right? All right, you 12 men, get to work building my thousand ships. How the fuck does he think these 12 dudes are going to build them a thousand ships? God, I wish I knew. Uh, I like. I, I just want to see like flash forward to four hours later. They're all fucking exhausted. <sighs> fuck, weapons sweat off they've their brows. Like they've built half of one ship. I think, oi, I think uh, Jimmy Dingarong threw out his back, lifting that oar. Now we're down to 11 men. It will take us at this rate, sir. Hold on, let me do some quick ironborn mass. At this rate, it looks like it's going to take us about, oh, I don't know, about 100 years to make a thousand ships. So I don't know. I don't know what he's planning. Obviously, he has more men than that, but it's fun to jest. Good Lord. Theon is outstanding here. I agree. Theon has returned to being Theon. He kept his word to his sister. The For a temp- second, you thought he wasn't going to, because I know I did. I was I like, holy shit, this motherfucker's going to be king right. with no penis. He's just going <laughs> to do it. Well, some men have no names and some men have no penises. Ain't that the truth? Boy, I tell you, the irony born. <laughs> <laughs> Never say that again. That's enough. <laughs> no more? We have to move on from it, honestly. All right. So... It has to be tempting for Theon here. He has to think, I'll yeah, show them I don't have a cock. They'd, they'd be like, okay, we'll take him. Yeah. All he had to say was, I'd like to be king. Thank you. My name is Theon. And sat down. And he would win. I think he saved his own life. I think Euron would have done done away with him. Well, Euron wants to kill him anyway, so... Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Can we talk about the drown god stuff? When he says, where are my niece and nephew? Let's go murder them. <laughs> That's a great line. Is that not, that not the best line you've ever heard? It's really good. I was like, I, I'm attracted to this man that wants to go murder his niece and nephew. Like, this is wonderful. I don't know. It was just so funny and like perfect the way he said it. He's like, where are my niece and nephew? And there's like this pause and he's like, let's go murder them. That was awesome. Them. I liked like, it a lot. fucking sociopath. He's crazy. Very cool. I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be good. I concur. He but- could save the Iron Islands for me. Wow. Not Theon? No. How dare you? Although I'm much higher on Theon than I used to be. Some, some dude, he's just funny and also handsome. And he drowned and came back to life. So we can talk about that now. Gotcha. That's why they say what is dead may never die. What is I get dead it may now. never die. I get it. So talk to me a little bit about how they just made off with the fucking whole fleet. Good Lord. Do, do we want to talk about how they killed Euron Greyjoy and then he wasn't dead? Did, did they kill him or was he dying and survived? They basically drowned him and then we're like, okay, I hope when we pull him out of the water, he coughs up all this water in his lungs. Hmm, crazy. Like, is that not? I don't know. I'm watching it and we're like, is, is he getting murdered right now? Like, That's what I thought What's too. actually happening here? I was like, boy, what a ceremony. <laughs> we just murder people when they want to be king. See how it goes, you know. <laughs> George R. R. Martin's sitting at his typewriter, right? And he's 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 typing away. <laughs> typing. <laughs> Hold the door. That'll get him. <laughs> typing. <laughs> and then he's like, right, I got to write this Greyjoy chapter. <laughs> and then he's like, hold on a second. I need to take a break. He takes a break. He puts on TV and he sees like, a child being baptized. And then his twisted George R. R. Martin mind, he thinks, what if they just held that fucker under? Oh my God. You know what? Hold on, hold on. Put another paper in. 
That's that, and that's how he came up with this thing. That's what happened here. I think it's when were you? I'm sure you did. You know, when you were a kid and you would be like, okay, let's have a contest. Who can hold their breath longer? <laughs> like I thought they were going to be like, okay, Euron, Yara, let's see who can hold their breath longer. Who has the better lung capacity? Because you win and you Jesus. are king slash queen. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you know who else has a good uh, a good a good. Uh, breath capacity, the man in question, Aaron Greyjoy, which is the man performing the ceremony. He's Euron's brother and, of course, Balon's brother. He's Euron's brother? He's yes. so old. I know, I know. Well, look at how but old Balon is. Balon's old, too, yeah. so there's just this one handsome bro in the family. He's interesting. Aaron was born the youngest of the Greyjoy brothers at six and ten. He called himself a man, but in truth, he had been a ribald drunk who would sing, dance, play pipes, juggle, and ride horses. He drank much and claimed no man would piss longer or farther than him. He once wagered his ship against a flock of goats and he uh, that he could douse a hearth fire by urinating on it. Uh, during his brother's rebellion, Aaron joined with Victorion and Euron in raiding the coasts. He nearly drowned when his long ship was sunk by the war galley Fury, commanded by who? Stannis. Stannis. Fucking badass. I hated him and loved him and hated him again, but sometimes I still That's smile it, when I hear his name. Yep. And uh, Aaron was believed to be lost at sea. He washed ashore and was discovered by local fishermen. They led him to Lannisport in chains. He spent the rest of the rebellion as a prisoner of the Lannisters. So pretty cool uh, story about him. Who was, he, they also refer to him as, uh, I thought, uh, I don't remember. But anyway, that's his name. Aaron, Aaron Greyjoy is his name. Oh, damn fair. He's now called damn fair because of his wet hair. So he's got like eternally wet hair or something. He does look kind of greasy, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, because he definitely looks, he should take a shower and he'd be fine. He definitely looks greasy like he wears Dracar Noir. Uh. <laughs> I don't know what anything you said means, so. Wow, it's sad. You're sad. You're a sad creature. Okay. Anyway, so that's uh, the Greyjoys. I thought he drowned, but I guess not. I think we were watching and one of our friends is like, are they going to resuscitate him? I'm like, yeah, they're going to break out their fucking CPR manuals. <laughs> Honestly. Like, yeah, they're going to fucking break out their American Heart Association CPR books and get to work with their chest compressions. Good gravy. Well, I look forward to this. I think that you think Yara and Theon have stolen Euron's idea and they're going to go right to Danny. Gosh, I don't know. I didn't even think about 100%, that. 100%. 100% they're going to do that. They'll be like, hey, we have like seven ships. Can we work for you, please? But if that's the case, what the fuck's going to happen with Euron? How is he? He's he's not going to not. He has to be. They've just introduced him. They're not going to be like, all right, he's gone. We sailed it's away. It's going to be like him trying to find them and murder them because that's what he wants to do now. I guess we'll see. We shall see. I just hope it's not like super boring because I kind of like him. He seems like an interesting dude. It's he not likes boring. murder. It's like amazing. nobody's business and willingly admits to it. All right, where do you want to go next? We're on a marine. Off to marine. So back across the narrow sea. Yeah, because we don't. We can time travel, not time travel like Bran. We can just. You watch yourself. You know, it's thin ice. Teleport. You're on thin ice. All right, a fragile piece has taken hold, but Tyrion says it is not enough. Yeah, so they need some help. Yeah, well, they need to know it was Daenerys who was responsible for it. Tyrion wants people to know who brought them security. Someone who cannot be bought or influenced. At first, I think I thought he was thinking Miss Sandy, but oh no, no, she could probably be bought or influenced. Truth be told, he was talking about this crazy bitch named Kinvara, a high priestess of the Red Temple of Volantis. So now you have this lady, Kinvara, the high priestess of the Red Temple of Volantis, cruising around Marine and getting some uh, stately power levied onto her by none other than Tyrion and Varys. And boy, what a meeting. You know, we talked about 
shrinking male power in the face of powerful feminine power, and we see it again here between Varys. Varys and Baelish, two relatively unflappable Johnnies. Pretty flappable today. Pretty much unflappable Johnnies get real flapped up. Yeah, they get flapped. Super flapped up. As flapped as you can get, honestly. I don't know how much more flap they could have gotten, to be perfectly frank. They were as flapped as Euron was drowned. Seems reasonable. And as penises were wart-ridden. So. Also true. Let us move on with this. i would be honest, this was the most boring scene of the ep- like whole episode for me. And I hate to say that about Tyrion ever, and it wasn't in another episode. It might have been an interesting scene, but compared to everything else going on, I was kind of like, eh. Yeah. Another red priestess? God. <laughs> What's she going to do? Get some leeches and throw them in a fire? I've already seen it. She's going to burn some children at the stake? I've already seen that, too. I find your lack of faith disturbing, young sub-host. Tell me, when you were a young girl... And a man came to you. What was it that the man said that one day that I know that you don't know? I mean, what a creep this bitch is. Yeah, so she knows a lot of shit, and I like that. And I like that she scared Varys. Oh, pump the brakes. Knows a lot of shit. Sure. Varys and everyone else knows a lot of shit, too. Tyrion knows a shitload. He knows things. Yeah, but she knows shit that she wasn't there for and that nobody knows except Varys. Correct. And the Lord of Light. So let us not breeze by this shit. I don't know, but I have already changed my religion to Lord of Light, and the next time I fill up paperwork and they ask my religion, that's what I'm going to put. You you are? You're now a devout follower? Yeah, I, I, I've turned. I hear there's a young child that needs to be burned at the stake. Could you get on that, please? Oh, I'm sorry. Having doubts? <laughs> Listen. Oh, God. So let's talk about this. I know there's not much going on here, but there could be really incredible things here. So they want Kinvara to gather some well-spoken priestesses. And priests. Don't be sexist. I mean, holy shit. So they're going to let these followers of the light cruise around their city? Are we going to see... Are we going to see a High Sparrow parallel? God, I fucking hope not. One High Sparrow is enough for an entire series. I got to be honest. I like Melisandre and Kinvara better than the High Sparrow. Oh, yeah, me too. But I, I can't have more crazy religious shit. I All already right. watched the Child okay, I, Stake. Okay, great. You don't want it to happen. You don't like it to happen. But let's talk about it since we're doing a podcast. Do you have anything you want to say about if it? I must. <laughs> yes. I find this interesting. I find it interesting that they're trying to religion to try and get things. I like that. Tyrion is all in on this, but Varys is very skeptical. I think that that's interesting. And obviously he's skeptical due to the fact that a high priest cut his junk off and threw it in a fire and voices no, spoke No, not a high him. priest. A second-rate sorcerer, to be exact. Whatever. Not a high priest. So it was basically like the High Sparrow, so you're trying to say? Second-rate sorcerer. <laughs> Walking around barefoot telling people that the gods speak to him. Anyway, I don't know if I need a whole other super religious plot in another area. I think we kind of are doing that right now, and we're kind of getting to the point where we're a little sick of it and ready for it to end. So I don't think we need a new one, and I hope that that's not... I think you're going to get one. I'm going to be honest mm. with you. And here's why. We have to remember about the prophecy. Oh, and what about when Tyrion was going to... Oh, my God. This just came to me. When he was traveling with Jorah, and they went to the, pla- yes. the place where now the Red Priestesses were talking about the Khaleesi. So, yeah, they kind of have been hinting at this, huh? Fuck. Well, the idea is, and, and, and Kinvara says it, but the, the prophecy she believes is Daenerys Targaryen, and that's where the, the rub starts between her and Varys. Varys is like, Stannis Baratheon, uh, a red priestess followed Stannis Baratheon, who was soundly defeated at the Blackwater by the man standing next to me. I think you're going to get accents mixed up. And then he was defeated for a final time. 
at Winterfell. I don't know who you were, but you weren't Varys. You were like a little finger Jorah hybrid. The prince that was promised. Could it be a princess that was promised? The one who was promised? It depends on who you ask. There's yeah, a lot of interpretations. Notice that this bitch says that she was the one who was promised. Mm. And Melisandre's always the prince, the prince, the prince, the prince. Indeed. Melisandre, you better listen a little harder to the Lord of Lakes. You're going to feel pretty fucking stupid if you're wrong again. Just going to throw it out there. And just to remember, a legendary warrior who rose up and defeated the others, i.e. the White Walkers, because they couldn't call them the others because of the Lost. Because of the Lost. Because of the Lost. Oh, Lost. But think about that. I'll be a podcast. We're going to talk about that when we talk about the children. Remember that. This was a legendary warrior who rose up to defeat the White Walkers, essentially. We're going to talk about that when it relates to the children and some of the history. I thought you said we were going to talk about Lost when we talk about the children. I was like, now we're going real deep here. But one thing to remember is, is that we are starting to see that we could be in a causal loop, which is something that is a self-fulfilling prophecy as it is. Something that happens because it has already happened and you're not really changing time. You are just witnessing how time unfolded and why it unfolded the way it did. Your actions seem to affect the timeline, but they don't really. You just think they do because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Which could be exactly what's going on when it comes to the one who was promised. Because if the one who was promised defeated the White Walkers thousands of years ago, the one who was promised might be the one to defeat them again. Because they have to battle them again. And it's very interesting to think about this because if this whole Red Priest thing crops up in Marine and suddenly they believe Danny is the one and they get this huge religious following and people just start converting. Next thing you know, you have this huge religious thing going on and it becomes this destiny sort of war for Daenerys if she is in fact the one who was promised. And then she's really at war with John because he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Someone said that I was the one who was promised. Yeah, but he doesn't believe that. Danny might. I know, his self-confidence is so low. Yeah. Honestly. What else is new? I don't know. He needs to do those like uh, group therapy sessions where they do trust falls and stuff and he learns that he's a good person he's, and maybe he is the one who was promised. Yeah. Maybe he is if he believes it. I'm drop that gorgeous and I have a great body. I'm so sad. I know. <laughs> Women everywhere like throw their panties at Kit Harrington and Jon Snow's like, oh, I hate purple. <laughs> Fucking guy. You know, there's always the brooding... You know, bro. I know. I was him in high school, basically. I had a crush on every character that was him when I was in high school, so. Wow. We can, what is this? A fucking Hello, doctor, Angel on What Buffy is this? A again. Dr. Phil episode, for Christ's sakes? Now, Jessica, tell me about your attraction to Dean. All right. Let's move to. Oh, no, I don't like your brooding, honestly. Just kidding. Wow. It's <laughs> fucked up. Let us move to Daenerys, Dario, and Jorah. A short scene, but so full Very of emotion. Good. What a great scene. So a twice-banished Jorah comes back twice and saves her life again. I can't take you back and I can't send you away, she says. And then he says, well, you must send me away. I love the way he steps away from her when she steps forward. Boy, that's something you don't see every day. Oh, God. I, lo- I love Jorah Mormont so much. Mm. I don't even know. I When he dies, I don't know. I will have to use bereavement time, honestly. Great great stuff here by the actors involved. It's, it's really good. Jorah tells her... He'll end things before it gets that bad. Of course, she apologizes. Suicide, he's talking about. People. 100%. I can't have that. And he says, all I ever wanted was to serve you, Khaleesi. And then he says, Tyrion was right, correct? Mm. That he loves her. Tyrion Lannister was right. I'll always love you. Goodbye, Khaleesi. <laughs> oh, my God. Pretty good, right? When she realizes he has grayscale, her reaction, how emotional this is for her, 
it honestly disgusts me that Dario's even in the scene because I'm so anti-Dario from that time he made fun of Jorah for being old and I don't know if I can move past that to be honest with you guys. Right. So I'm really anti-Dario right. and I was like, ew, crop him out of the scene. I don't even want to see his face. So I pretended he wasn't there. While we were watching this, you did something that made me laugh so much because you were so highly emotional. <laughs> this is true. This is a hilarious moment. So during this whole thing when Jorah's doing his thing and then you have... Daenerys is broken up about it. Jorah is, Jor is broken up about it. We do get a shot on Dario who's just kind of looking down. And he it's just a brief, it's, just, it's, a, it's a one second shot. And Jessica screams, I'm not exaggerating. Shut up, Dario! And he, <laughs> <laughs> it was so fucking funny. I was dying. He didn't even say anything. They show him for a second. And she's like, shut up! Don't you ruin this moment! I, I did not say don't even ruin this moment, but no, I know, we were but watching this with, with another couple of friends of ours, and it was shit. quiet, all this emotional shit is going on, and this is 100% true story. I did say shut up, Dario. I was really emotional. It was outstanding. I wish, like, one of these days when you do a Game of Thrones commentary episode, because you people would want to kill me with the shit that I do. Like, I can't I can't watch a movie or anything without talking. I feel like I have to say something was, about everything. It was outstanding. So but I meant it. I meant that shut up. Yeah. So she, she, you swore to obey my commands. I command you to find a cure. Wherever it is in this world, I command you to heal yourself. When I take the seven kingdoms, I need you by my side, eyebrow raise. I gotta be honest with you. This gave me goosebumps and kind of brought a tear to my eye. Yeah. This was, was super, super emotional for me. And it was good. Rewatching it again, I felt the same way. Yeah. This is so meaningful, and this shows you that no matter what Danny has said, and no matter how much she tried to stay true to her word that she cannot trust trust Jorah. She does love him and not in the same way he loves her, obviously, hashtag friend zone, but she loves him. Right. And she can banish him and banish him and banish him, but knowing that he is basically has a death sentence right now, she's like, no, I can't have this. Mm-hmm. And that's very meaningful and I love it. This immediately, and I'm sure that the chat will agree if they've seen this movie, this <laughs> immediately reminded me of Terminator 2, a young John Connor. I order you to stay. I order you to stay. Right? He's like, I can't. I got to go in the lava and kill myself. It was similar. Oh, Terminator 2. It's really similar to where she's like, I order you to have a cure. I order you. It's almost like she's saying it, half believing he can do it, and half believing she'll never see him again. But uh, I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you something right now. I think, I really think that Jorah... We have not seen the last of Jorah. We better not have. There's some, there's some chit chat going on in the chat room. And here's what I think. I think this fucker goes to Old Town. I agree. He's going to run into Sam Tarly. I agree. He's going to go to the Meisters of the Citadel. And he's going to try to find himself a fucking cure. And you have to remember in there, everyone in the chat is talking about how a Shireen cured, what happened, all these things that we don't know. And we know that, you know, Santa said he went everywhere. He tried all the stuff. He did everything. He didn't think she could be cured. I think the fact that Shireen spent a lot of time with Gilly that Gilly's with Sam. I don't know if a small bit of information got slipped that might give somebody a clue to something. Like, I wonder if their relationship with Shireen is going to in some way come back too. Just saying. I like it. I, 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 I have agree a feeling. Though. I think, I think Jorah runs into Sam. And I think Sam cures him. And now I and regret. We're gonna get, and Randall Tarley's coming into the picture here. I regret everything about picking Jorah first in my Deadpool because at this point, I'm starting to think that at least this season, and probably in general, that he's kind of not going to die. I think he's going to be in this. I think he might make it to the last episode now, and I made a real mistake. 
I just don't see him wandering around and slowly we watch Grayscale overtake him and he dies. I, I think I'm thinking very meta here. I just don't see that happening. I agree. I think that she's going to take the Iron Throne and he's going to be there. If I get a goddamn Frank True Detective Season 2 ending, walking through the desert, clutching your wound, slowly dying, I, I will riot. Yeah, no, I, fuck I'll that. I'll riot. So a couple of reminders about Randall Tarley, who I think we're going to meet, and maybe Jorah will too. Uh, he was a great battle commander. Don't forget, he defeated Robert. The also an only, asshole. The only defeat Robert faced during Robert's rebellion, and it was at the Battle of Ashford. And uh, the Tarleys are actually loyal to the Tyrells. So I want to tell you right now, that is a interesting little mix-up, right? Once they become involved again, that's going to be an interesting mix-up. So I'm looking forward to how that's going to all play out. But I don't think we've seen the last of Jorah. I think we're going to get Jorah back in action with some other characters, because Jorah is a strong enough character to where his arc simply doesn't revolve around Daenerys. Unlike Dario, whose arc simply revolves... Fuck that guy. I hate him. You hate him? Gee, he looks like Ray LaMontagne to me, doesn't he's, he? He's super handsome, and I like him in other things. Like, I see, like, commercials for him in romantic comedies. I'm like, oh, he's cute. And he was in that movie we watched, that really fucking weird Great cult movie. movie that was awesome. And Great movie. he was a fucking creepo in it, but he was good. No, I, you, spoilers, but whatever. Like I said, he was a creepo. You can tell from the first five minutes of the movie. I didn't even say the name of the movie, so nobody even knows. Anyway, hate Dario. Mm, indeed. Yeah, Don't also... Fuck with Jorah. Also, uh, not to change gears on you, but they're saying in the chat, also loyal to the Targaryens. Yes, the Tyrells were loyal to the Targaryens. Thus, the Tarleys were loyal to the Targaryens during Robert's Rebellion. Randall Tarley led the, Tyre- the, 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 the uh, Tyrell army and uh, defeated Robert at the Battle of Ashford. Now, apparently that battle was not too bloody. Uh, I guess it just forced uh, almost an immediate tactical retreat because of what happened. And I guess Randall Tarley decided not to pursue Robert because he assumed that Tywin was still loyal to the Targaryens and would catch him fleeing and flank him and thus destroy Robert. But that didn't happen because Tywin ended up turning against the Targaryens when he went to King's Landing. So Robert got away, not taking too many casualties from that battle as I've read it. Jessica. Someone in the chat brought up a point that is worth mentioning. Karen Lomas, Walking Dead super fan and also Game of Thrones fan. Could George just cut his arm off? Would that stop the grayscale from spreading? Is this like the zombie apocalypse? Mm. Oh, That's know. a great question. Yeah. And worth a shot, maybe. Like, I would still hook up with a one-armed Jorah. I'm, it would be weird, I'm, but I would I'm, be okay with it. You lose a limb in this world, and your, your chances of death are pretty high. Hello, Can, Jamie Lannister. He has a gold hand. Yeah, a hand is one thing. An arm is another. Yeah, but how long was he walking around with his hand in the mud, like his stump? A hand is one thing. An arm is another. I'm just saying that that's a very valid point and it's worth thinking about. Mm. Anyway, we'll see what happens. So that's it. Jorah on the trail alone again. Who's he going to run into this time? Good Lord. This fucking guy, huh? He is doomed to have uh, to have these. He, he has doomed romances. This is his thing. This is Jorah's history. Doomed, what, doomed romance. romances with one person, the Khaleesi? Nope. His wife was the same thing. If you read his history, it's, it's uh, oh, yeah. Jorah's, Jorah's Jorah, a hopeless romantic. You. He's a hopeless romantic, this That's guy. Why I'm in love with him, honestly. All right. What should we do? Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Let's fucking talk about this shit. Okay. So let us travel far north, far, 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 far north, and talk to our main man, Bran, and uh, hop to it. So Bran and we get a chance to meet the children. Oh, when you said Bran and we. I'm like, who's we? 
Like his name is the Three Eyed Raven, and then I was like, "Oh, you mean us yes. listening?" I got it. Just we get a chance a to, to to we get a chance to uh, meet the children. Uh, we learn about their relationship with the White Walkers, which was news to everybody. But just to help people out a little bit, let's talk about the children. I took a couple of notes based Nothing on spoilerish, right? From twelve thousand years ago, very okay. spoilery. Well, I just worry that you're going to say something that's going to be a reveal later in the show when you start getting into your history. So, not that I'm aware. Okay, we're but we're talking about the history of stuff that we might see later. Okay. Twelve thousand years ago, yeah, before before the first men. Well, well this the that men. how the Night King was made was a spoiler, and that happened like twelve thousand years ago. That's not even in Wikipedia, so that's new to everyone. Okay, but I'm just saying. Moving right along, so the inhabited the children inhabited Westeros approximately twelve thousand years ago, before the first men. The first men then invaded Westeros by way of Essos across a land bridge that used to connect the two continents at Dorne near the Stony Steps, and it was called the Arm of Dorne. So there was this land bridge that connected Essos and Westeros that eventually got submerged by the magic of the children as part of a way to stop the invading forces. Some say they employed a, quote, dark magic, but it was known as the Hammer of the Waters. So they raised the water it erased this bridge, but it was too late. They already came across. If you look at a map of Westeros and you look at Dorne, if you look at the easternmost area of Dorne, you're going to see the Stepstones. I think I called them the Stony Steps, but I think it's the Stepstones. Whatever. If you look, you'll see it. The first men brought their own gods, weapons of bronze, leather shields, horses. They fought the children for 2,000 fucking years, okay? The two races eventually signed something called the Pact, at the Isle of Faces on the God's Eye, which is in the River Run. It's this little island, and it's a full of weird uh, weirwoods, which is pretty cool. Next, the children would get the forests. In the pact, it was said the children would get the forests. The men can have the open terrain, no more destroying weirwood trees. Weirwoods are sacred trees to the followers of the, quote, old gods, and the children consider the weirwoods to actually be gods. This pact goes on about 4,000 years, and oh, wait a second. Then the White Walkers show up. Now, death and destruction come to both. This was known as the Long Night. We've heard the Long Night mentioned before. The first men and the children come together to defeat the White Walkers. The last hero is said to have been seeked out, seeked out the children for assistance. This last hero follows the prophecy we just talked about. And then something happened called the Battle of Dawn, which brought about the Night's Watch. Eventually, the White Walkers were driven back. The Night's Watch was supposedly formed after this long night, and then somebody named, and here's where it gets cute, Bran the Builder created the wall. Like Bob the Builder? Like Bob the Builder, except Bran the Builder. Like Brandon Stark? Now, if we're seeing Bran affect Hodor in the past as part of a self-fulfilling prophecy, is it possible that he built this wall? I guess we're going to find out. There's a lot of theories about that. Anyway, peace follows after the long night. The children slowly withdraw deeper into the woods. Apparently, they offer something like 100 obsidian blades, or as we know them, Valyrian steel, to the Night's Watch every year so they can battle back the White Walkers. Now, although the children taught the first men about the old gods, eventually the faith of the seven, as we're very familiar with if we're paying attention to the High Sparrow, begins to supplant that religion after the Andal invasion. So the Andals invade. Side the note. The Jorah of the Andals? Jorah is, is of the Andals. Heart, Side heart, note. Heart. Side note, the Andals never conquered the north, which is interesting. And maybe that's why the old guards are so strong in the north, as we see in Game of Thrones, like Ned by the Weirwood Tree, them talking about the old gods, which I think is pretty neat. Anyway, the children eventually all but vanish. They haven't been seen for thousands of years. 
unfortunately, you don't really see this. I know Old Nan tells a story similar to this, but you don't really get the impact of him seeing and interacting with children of the forest that have been gone for thousands of years. It's a really big deal that these people have come back, and now they're trying to assist Bran, and they're very powerful. They have a lot of magic. They're very few. They're powerful, but very, very few in number. But I just thought that that history of the children was an interesting thing to mention as it relates to a little bit about them. Now, the thing about them creating the Night King there, as is confirmed in the after episode chat, you said. Yes, that is not just any White Walker. That's the Night King they're creating from that bro. Mm. By the way, that would have been a great time to go full frontal on somebody just saying. Yeah, you want to see the, you want to see. What kind of mule the knights, uh, the I mean, knights I'm kings ju- working with? I'm just with. being honest. If that was a woman, she probably would have been naked. That's true. Well, that's how it goes. So anyway, I believe this children uh, of the forest is named Leaf. So I'm going to call her such. Um, that is her name, and the only reason I know is because I saw it in the closed captioning. I called her the fairy the whole episode. So that shows you how on top of things I was in my notes. There you have it. So she admits that they were at war and needed protection from men, thus the creating of them. They were killing and cutting down the sacred trees. Bran decides that he's going to grab part of a tree and do a little fucking time hop to learn more. Now Bran is obsessed with knowing the truth. Obviously, the whole Tower of Joy thing started. Now he wants to learn more. So he grabs the tree and he does what's known as the green dreaming, I believe they call it. I don't know what they call it, but can I mention something before we get into him going and doing his shit on his own? Sure. This is a theory that someone in the chat mentioned and I've heard it as well. Um, I don't know if there's anything in the books that support this. I don't know if that's where people are getting it from. And if it's a spoiler, I'm sorry. But the thought that the Night King is actually a Stark because the theory. Starks have been in the North and they're, you know, they're an old family from the North and that that's possible. Um, Nando Stark said it in the chat. I've seen it on our page. I've seen all that stuff. I think that's a very interesting theory. And I, I, I don't know. I like it. I'm very interested in that idea. And Rachel in chat is correcting me, saying it's called the green seeing. So the green seeing is kind of what he's doing here. So you got green seeing and then skin changing, or known, or also known as warging, uh, which happens. Uh, I guess a small percentage of people have the green sight, and then in, or, or can warg, and then a small percentage of people can green see of the people that can warg. So it's like Bran is super, super special. Like the, the 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 idea that he can do all of these things is is incredibly rare that he can do both of these things. Anyway, he gets a little too cute with the Whites and the White Walkers, and boy, is this not terrifying. There's a lot of really intense, scary stuff oh, at the end of this man. episode. Um, and you all know, you listen to this podcast, I am bored to freaking all ends of the earth with Bran most of the time. Not once this episode. I'm like, oh, not great, we're going to see Bran. No, I love Bran right now. This was great shit. Great. This stuff with him in the, and, and when that Night King touches him and when he wakes up and he's like, he saw me, he saw me. And the Three-Eyed Raven says, he touched you. And Bran's like, I don't know. Bran immediately lies because he knows it's fucking bad. Right. That he was touched by this guy. I, I love that reaction from Bran to, to immediately lie because he knows what happened is really fucking bad. And the repercussions are going to be really bad. It's, uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty awesome. I like the way this whole thing is shot. I like how he walks among the white army and he walks by them. And then when he turns around, they have all turned around. Fucking that is so excellent. scary. Oh, that is so good. nightmare fuel. I'm sorry. That's terrifying. It really is. And then we see the Night King Quartet, I call them. 
sitting astride. Oh, I call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I like it. But that's just me. Sitting astride their fucking nightmare steeds. Four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's a religious reference if there ever was one. He saw me. He saw me. In his pubescent voice. His mark on you. Uh, By the way, here's the most terrifying aspect of this. Now he can find you. Great. So the most terrifying person ever can track you. Great. That's just wonderful. Bad news for Bran. Yeah, I'll never sleep again out of fear that a Night King might touch me in my dreams. And then where do we go from there, honestly? Where do we go from there? (laughs) I don't have anybody who can throw fire and protect me. There's no Hodor in my life. So Bran has to become the Three-Eyed Raven, but he's not ready. And then Maureen starts to pack up. Maureen, Jesus. Mira. I keep doing that. Mira is like, time to pack up, bitch. I have to say something. You want to talk about bacon and blood sausage? I do, but before that, I have to make an apology. Here we go. Hold on, hold on. (laughs) Hold on. Who's in studio? Open up the door. Hey, Mira Green. Mira's here. Her last name is Reed, first of all. Excuse me. Mira Reed's here. I'm all fucking green-sided up the ass over here. She's here. What do you want to say to what do you want to say to Mira? I really shit on the reeds like hard. Like is it was fucking bad. You go back and you listen to that season with them and how bad I talked about them. But let's be honest, it was really Jojen that I hated. And he's dead now, and I'm pretty cool about that. Oh, the tape will tell another tale. <laughs> the tape will tell another tale. I watched this episode and something happened to me. I liked Mira. <laughs> <laughs> you fickle beast. You fickle beast of a woman. Still hate Jojen. I'm glad he's dead. But I really like Mira. This has nothing to do with the fucking Mira John John Stark, John Snow theories. Although that's kind of cool. I liked her in this episode. I don't know why. I just fucking liked her. Because she tried everything she could to keep Bren safe. She's No, that's not even why. I was just like, this bitch is cool. I don't know. I... I feel bad I talk shit about her for years of my life. David Earl just said, next episode, she'll be loving Ramsey, essentially is what he's saying. <laughs> no, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> there are some people that I still, although I did turn around on Stannis, but that was an era of judgment, honestly. Yeah, you and Melisandre, great judgment. So anyway, Bran is tripping balls, and Mira runs to the cave entrance. Gasp. The imagery here is unfucking real I agree. This is intense. Yeah. The Night King's already there. Hey, guys, what's shaking? Cooking up some blood sausages? Because me and the boys rode, and we are hungry. We promise we won't kill the can't-get-right kid if you uh, give us some of that blood sausage. Oh, and Bran. Can we have him? We got a deal? No deal? Well, this is incredible. Get Bran and run, Leaf says. Mira tries to wake up Bran, who's in a deep, deep trance there's a clash at the cave entrance which is amazing the the children just start throwing grenades fucking magic grenades blowing the shit out of whites no big deal and then uh, mirror's doing hard work later we see ned's dad bidding him adieu does that even matter tough to say right i don't think so but i was like good casting i see it ned's dad remember rickard stark no he says something that i don't know if this means anything but i i think it might he says, you know, when you're in the veil, don't fight, whatever. But if you have to fight, win. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's just me looking into shit. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to fucking mean something. Because obviously, if you have to fight, win. But I don't know. I was like, oh, I feel like that's a meaningful line. So whatever. If it's not, Guess we'll find it's out. fucking not. <laughs> Guess we'll find out. So the children are getting to work. Bran hears Mira's voice. We're all going to die. So there's a lot of shit that goes on here. Yeah, okay? it's fucking crazy shit. 
When they show the White Walkers approach that ring of fire, our half ring, and they're he's holding that big weapon, that big pole arm, that big blade, and they step forward. They are so fucking menacing. Thank God. They could have made these guys so uncool and so unmenacing, and I think they knocked it out of the park. They made them look great. I agree. They're terrifying. I love that the, that the fire just extinguishes at their presence. They just walk over it, 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 and it goes out like some Dracula walking through the Rose Garden But just Garden the four, shit. and I like that too. I like that the others can't, can't walk through fire. I really like that. But the way they climb up on the mountain face to yes. get in. I, I like when a show has rules and they stick to them, and I, I, I like that. I, I just like the idea that these fucking four, you know, the Night King and his three bros, sure. these ice people... Yes. Can walk through fire, but the dead can't. Indeed. I like that. I, I like it shows the power mythology in sure. the thought that's put into it. It's really fascinating to me. Yep. It's really good. So Bran hears Mira's voice. We're all going to die walking to Hodor now. He sees Hodor working. Willis. He sees Willis. I should make that clear. He sees Willis doing his thing. And then Bran works, doesn't he? Yeah. So let's talk about a yeah, couple of things Yeah, let's fucking here. talk about it because I have to say something. <laughs> Go ahead. I watched this episode the first time. It was fucking emotional. I'm like, this is so sad. Like, whatever. I didn't really think about it. Before I watched it the second time, I read comments on the Facebook page. And I made the mistake of reading Nathan Tamulus's comment about how Bran walked into Hodor and basically killed him and made him hold the door. And that was very upsetting to me when I rewatched that, even thinking that could be a possibility. So... That's what I say about that. Gotcha. Now, I'm no warging expert, but part of me believes that he wargs and we see Hodor's eyes go white for a minute. Then he stands up and he just starts doing shit. Now, I don't know. If exactly. That- it, it is filmed so much like he wargs into Hodor, but his eyes aren't. Hodor's eyes aren't back. They are. Hodor's eyes go white. Young Hodor. No. Old but young Hodor. Hodors do. We're not at young Hodor yet. We have to make sure okay. we talk about this in the correct order because it, it matters to people oh, that fuck. are going to theorize. But it's going to upset me. But go ahead. Bran wargs into Hodor and Hodor. Hodor's rocking. Immediately gets he's, up. He's nervous. Hodor. Hodor. Doing his thing, right? And then his eyes turn white for a second and then they go back to regular and he stands up. Okay? So Bran is in Hodor at this point. Right. Now, this brings up a lot of questions. Does he warn him to get him into action? Is this Hodor's free will? Is Hodor doing what Hodor is going to do? Because Bran now is warging. You know, a lot of people say, well, Bran's back in time. No, he's not. Bran's in the fucking tree still. But he is also, his conscious is back in time, right? His conscious is visiting the past, checking shit out. Now, that's when they start moving. Now, And the Raven also tells Bran to listen to his friend. He when does. He hears Mira. He does. And that's what happens before Hodor gets up. So watching this a second time and having that thought in my head, I'm like, holy shit. The Raven's like, hey, you better warg into Hodor because is this the Raven has already seen this all and he knows this is all going to happen this way? Is do, I, do we have to get to this time travel stuff? Because I'm everybody knows that I'm the resident time travel expert, but I don't want to do that shit on Game of Thrones. Okay. So the White Walker... We're going to talk about it right now, but let me just get through this. The White Walker that fucked up John Snow beat his ass. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them. One of them got killed. Um, John gets up. John, uh, uh, why am I saying John? Mira, they throw the fucking spear at it and it dies. Obviously, this is a, a weapon, some kind of Valyrian steel, right? Dragon glass, wherever Dragon the fuck. Dragon glass, yeah. So, and then Summer gets got. Do you want to talk about that? That was pretty horrific. I mean, do I want to talk about it? No. Am I going to have to go to therapy about it? Probably. 
Okay. So talk to me. Ugh, I can't. Listen, it's sad when humans die and stuff. But let's be honest. It's sadder when a fucking dog dies half the time, isn't it? I don't know. You may all disagree with me. But at this point when Summer dies, as Summer's going to attack these people, I'm like, don't do it, Summer. Don't do it. Summer dies. It's fucking horrific. We hear the dog yelp. I can't even. I can't. A few times. It's pretty bad. I just, I, I cannot listen to that stuff. And at the point where this happens, now I had already said from before the episode started, no, I was not spoiled, but I thought it was obvious that I knew there was going to be a death because I knew there were the reaction videos on YouTube. Right. And we saw young Hodor in the previous on Game of Thrones. So from that second, the whole episode, I was saying Hodor was going to die. So we're in this scene. I'm like, Hodor's going to die. When they killed Summer, I was like, fuck Hodor. I don't even care. Now that they've killed another direwolf. This is the saddest moment for me. I was wrong because the Hodor stuff was really sad. Mm-hmm. But this like killing of the direwolves in these like horrible ways where I have to like listen to a direwolf die like this. I can't anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I just can't have any more dead direwolves. I'm sorry. I like it. This is sad. I came. I came. There's two left, correct? Yes. Well, Nymeria, where we don't know, but she's somewhere. And then there's Ghost. But I came home and I hugged my dog. And I was like, if there were ever White Walkers coming after me, you just run, little dog. Don't you do that heroic shit, even though, mm. you know, she wouldn't Indeed. actually give a shit. But So, well, the Three-Eyed Raven, or Blood Raven as he's known, the Night King kills his ass. And the fucking image of him breaking up in the past is amazing. This, I love that. This Imagery is, is so powerful. This is great because this is right at the, de- the death of Summer. Like my notes, you know, I'm like, okay, the raven gets killed, whatever. But actually, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like, I don't care about him as a character. Like, I care about Summer, a dire wolf, you know, because I am But the I implications am. of killing such an ancient creature, it, you know? I love it, though, where he's killed and how he dies with Bran. Where Bran Looks awesome. See? It, it's really, really cool. I, I mean, this is a great a great shot it's great imagery it was a good choice of how to do it yep so leaf then gets then sacrifices herself and that is amazing too which is again oh my god oh, with the stabbing it is amazing stabbing. when she is in the hallway by the way these things moving through the hallway is terrifying they're on every surface it looks like you're being pushed into a blender yeah it's terrifying it's, it's unbelievable and i love how leaf just waits and the way her the way you see her head kind of jolting around as they like go at her body and she just sits there with this expression her her, the way her body is just like jostling around as they hit her and then just boom she goes out vasquez alien style blows the whole fucking thing to kingdom come it's great and uh then we get to the door now here's a couple of things i want to talk about so we know that bran wargs into present hodor okay we'll say hodor and willis okay for for naming conventions here makes sense and we don't need to say past brand or present brand because it's just brand. He's he's here presently in the physical form, even if his conscience has traveled to go visit the past. He's still there. It doesn't matter. So brand wargs into Hodor. Hodor's eyes roll. Then they come back. He gets up. He does his thing. One thing I wanted to check was, is Hodor fully controlled by him all the time when he's warging in him? I think he probably is. Remember, he killed Vargo Hote. That was awesome, yep. And he broke his neck and his eyes were normal, but his eyes did go white when he first controlled him. And then he killed Vargo Hote, mm-hmm. the taker of Jamie's hand. I just can't hand. remember, were his eyes white the whole time? Not the whole time. And, and I'm very specific about that. I'm really upset about if this. You look, don't worry, I'm going to fix it for you. I hope you are because I'm, I'm gonna really fix upset. It for you. Don't worry, I'm going to fix it for you. So here's the thing. If you watch him kill Vargo Hote, he's got normal Hodor eyes. Sweet, sweet, gentle eyes that break necks. Okay. 
So as he's doing his thing, the next thing we hear is the door, good God. And this is where we come to Bran interacting with pasts. So he's interacting with Mira. He, they're saying he killed, in the chat, they're telling me he killed a man named Locke. His name was Vargo Hote. He was going by Locke. Locke was a cover name. Vargo Hote is his actual name. So watch yourself. Not like John Locke. He didn't kill him. No, Locke was his traveling name because he was yeah. trying to get close to Jon Snow. His real name is Vargo Hote. I'm making a lost reference. Anyway, to continue, here's what I think happens. I don't think, unless the show is going to show me otherwise, that he can warg into two people simultaneously, okay? So I think when everything happens to Bran and all this shit starts to get wild and they're saying, we're all going to die, we're all going to die, he looks, and, and Bran starts to get nervous, he looks over at Willis, Willis looks at him, and then his eyes go white. Yes, that does happen. Okay? He falls and he starts to have a seizure of sorts, right? So what I think happens here is, is that I don't believe that Bran can warg into two people simultaneously. I think he warged into present order to get him moving and then started to panic like, fuck, they're, what do you mean they're going to die? I don't know what to do. And, and then he, has, he, he makes a mistake or he loses control and inadvertently creates the whole origin of Hodor because he wargs into Willis. Willis's eyes roll. He drops. He starts having a seizure. And in that moment, I think that Hodor, somehow this comes back to him. There's some talk about maybe Willis and Hodor become connected in that moment because if you watch it carefully, hold the door, hold the door, hold the door, hold yes, the door, yes, hold yes, the door I know. is literally being heard as he's holding the door. So in my opinion, I think Hodor, perhaps there's some sort of weird temporal connection between him and Willis and he holds the door and he knows what he's doing and he knows it's going to lead to his death. Because I think once Bran wargs into Willis, I think he's no longer physically controlling everything that Hodor does. And that's why the order of the way this happens matters. In other words, to make it simple, Bran wargs into Hodor, his eyes roll white, he gets up, he starts moving and starts dragging Bran's body out of the fucking cave. They're trying to get out of there. Next, we hear all this terrible shit happening and we know we need to get the door open. So then in a panic, we see this warging experience happening to Willis for the first time. And I think that's Bran's doing thus creating the self-fulfilling prophecy. You don't think there's any way that Willis can warg, right? Well, that is a possibility. I've heard that theory. Is it possible that he warged into future Hodor? Hodor? I don't know. But now we're getting too cute with the time travel. I guess I know, that's possible I, too. The reality is, is that okay, nobody so, really knows. can warg into people in the past, like I feel like I, I can't open the floodgates to this turning into this big time travel stuff. I just can't. But, if but, that's where we're going to go, that's going to be really problematic for me. But it's not time travel. It's self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, it's a type of time travel, but it's a closed loop. You don't really change anything. It just happens. The other option is this. Because what, what the part that makes us hard to accept, which is why there's credence to what Senator Tamulus is saying, yeah, right? Other than that he ruined my life and made me want to kill Bran. The, the, the credence to what he's saying is, is the fact that we do see Hodor's eyes go white. I think there is zero confusion if his eyes don't go white, and that's... Bran wargs into Hill, to Willis. Hodor recalls this in this moment of stress, and he goes out there knowing he's walking to his own death. I still kind of believe that because we see Bran, we see Hodor, we see Willis get warged into. And yeah, I don't or think- Or Willis warg into somebody. I don't think that's true. I'm just saying. I'm taking that off the table to avoid confusion for now. Right. In my opinion, 
Bran wargs into Hodor to get things moving, and then in a panic, wargs into past Willis, thus showing that he can interact with the past, because they've hinted at that. And I think in that moment, we have this self-fulfilling prophecy of Hodor who realizes, I'm going to go die, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I think that's what makes his sacrifice more powerful. But what was powerful to me is when I thought that Hodor spent his whole entire life knowing that one day this moment would come. Precisely. That's the self-fulfilling prophecy. But he he didn't if it just happened in this moment, in this moment this memory came to him. No, no, that's not not what I'm saying. I'm not saying he didn't think about it. One thing to remember is, is that it's possible that Hodor... I don't know if he always thought it the whole time, his whole life thought, I'm going to die this way, I'm going to die this way, I'm going to die this way. But I think it came back to him in the cave and he was like, all right, this is what it is based on the fact that we see the connection between them when he's having the seizure and Hodor's dying, hold the door, hold the door, Hodor, 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 Hodor. And I think that was the ultimate connection. And I think that's when Hodor, as mentally compromised as he is, sees himself, knows he's going to die. He Just knows- that moment in the cave though? I think he knows that this is the end for him here. Because the first time I watched the episode, before I was really paying attention and before I was reading Sen- Senator Tamulus's comments, which basically ruined my opinion on things. Not ruined it, but you know what I mean. Um, my thought was that this had all happened this way, that young Hodor had had this seizure and he had he saw the future. He saw this. Yep, and I his agree. His whole life, he knew that it was leading to that point. And it really fucked him up and whatever. He was Hodor. And the idea that maybe this all just happened in a split second and in a split second he gets this memory that he's going to die makes the sacrifice a little bit less emotional. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's tough to say. The only reason I wonder if he knew, obviously it happened to him when he was a kid, but, but there's some theories that the trauma of the situation maybe made him forget that he was going to die exactly in this way. All right. But maybe there are hints of it based on his action. I'm afraid of loud noises. He's skittish. He's worried. He's nervous about things. Is it, is it possible that this trauma of seeing his own death when he was a kid obviously fucked him up forever? I mean, that's what obviously. But we could also say that this is a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is Bran wargs into Willis, and that's unprecedented. That's I'm warging into somebody yeah, in the past. Why doesn't he just go back in the past and warg into Ned Stark Be- and fucking save his life? Because he can't time travel. That's what I'm trying to explain to you. Hodor's name has always been Hodor the whole show, which means this is something that's already happened. We're just seeing how it happened. Now we're getting into time travel stuff where I'm going to have to watch episodes 10 times and take a lot of notes. You don't have to. I don't think with this one. I think this is a simple self I hope not, prophecy. but I'm scared. Yeah, well, there you go. So anyway, I don't know. I just hope that I don't have to hate Bran because... He technically murdered Hodor in a way. Right. That's all I hope. I don't think so. I don't I don't believe that. I think I think I think we see a bit of a of, of a self-fulfilling prophecy here. And that's what happened. And I think that I think that Hodor sacrificed himself willingly at the end. It's pretty sad, no yeah. matter what. And everyone get your shot glasses ready. But many seasons ago I talked about this when they had Hodor like chained up and they were stabbing at him. I said it made me think of like a dog being abused because Hodor is so good and so loving and just so trusting of everybody. He he's there. There's nothing bad about him, and that you know whatever it makes me think about a dog. Blah blah. Mm-hmm. Fine. This is what's so sad to me is that Hodor is so he's just so simple and so kind, and all he cares about is helping Bran. And right, it it's very sad. Yeah, it doesn't. It's very sad. I don't think any of these theories really change the fact that Hodor would definitely give his life for Bran. I think I think that's 100%. But I think the impact goes through the roof if you think that Willis, i.e. Hodor, always knew. 
always knew. And that's very sad. Yeah, I, I think that that's a distinct possibility. And that's something I said last night, is I said, did Willis, i.e. Hodor, live his whole life knowing how he was going to die in the moment, yet he did it anyway? I, I, think, that's, I think that's what George R. R. Martin is trying to say. The only thing that makes it kind of funky is putting the white eyes on Hodor in the present. That's I the agree. only thing that fucks it up a little bit, and that's kind of annoying to me. But there you have it. Because the shit's really sad. <laughs> because 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 the flip side is is that Bran uses Hodor as a vessel to get away, and Hodor doesn't really know what he's doing. But I can't believe that. But it's but it's a hard logical it's a hard logical argument to make. But I believe that George R. R. Martin would probably write this to show someone like Hodor. I mean, there's no uh, to be honest with you, there is no death more tragic and more sad and, and soul crushing than Hodor's if he knew the whole time. He was going to die the way he died, and that's what changed Willis into Hodor in that moment when he was a child. I mean, to live with that as a kid is unreal. And then to know, oh, this must be it. Maybe the trauma, maybe the trauma of being warged into, which is something that happens, it's traumatic. If you warg into a human host, it's traumatic for them, okay? Maybe that caused doubts and memories, and maybe there were inklings and glimpses into this that Hodor knew about, but in that moment in the cave... I think it all came together for him. And when his back is up against that fucking door and they're bashing through, you can see it on his face. He knows he's dead. In my opinion, I think his face tells you, I'm scared. I think I'm going to die. And all he's doing is hoping to see Bren disappear into that fucking fog. And that's what Hodor does here. And that's what makes it such a great sacrifice. And that is what makes it so strong. And George R. R. Martin says, I know the exact answer. And we are dealing with... A couple of things here. We don't know all the facts. Somebody mentioned that in the chat. We don't know all the facts. But I'm of the opinion that Willis had an idea as to how he was going to die. And that's why he became Hodor, because of the self-fulfilling prophecy that Bran unwittingly started. And I think that Hodor knew that he was going to die at the door that day, especially as he started to come to the conclusion that Hodor is hold the door. And that's what I've known to do. I've not, I've got to hold the door. I know that's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. I got to hold the door. And that's what I think happened. And it is fucking intense and it's tragic and sad. And it's great writing. In my opinion, I think this is great writing and what, what strong patient writing to take this thing and to lay it out for seasons and for books and books, so many pages. And we never really think to ask ourselves, is Hodor anything more than Hodor? We don't really care. We're just like, oh, he's gentle. He's a simpleton. He doesn't have a POV chapter. He doesn't matter too much is what we think. And when you can take a character that doesn't matter too much and you can jam a dagger in everybody's hearts that's watching that gets this scene. And I get it. It's confusing. You might be like, all right, the kid has a seizure. The big guy dies. Big fucking deal. But if you You're connect soul, them. If that's what you said. But if you start to connect them, it's powerful shit and it's great writing and I'm of the opinion that I have a lot of faith in George R. R. Martin. I think he's a great writer. I really truly believe that the tragedy here is, is that this guy knew that this day was coming. Maybe not perfectly clearly like we do, but I have a feeling it was there somehow. Seeing your own death is traumatic. I get it. Warging into your, into your getting warged into is traumatic. Is it as traumatic as seeing the way you're going to die? I don't know. But combined, this is what fucks up Hodor forever. This is why he becomes who he becomes. And I believe that there was some perception there from Hodor knowing that this is the way he was going to go down. And it's fucking brutal. And that's it. R.I.P. Hodor. Yes, R.I.P. Hodor. 
Um, somebody in one of our Facebook posts, the many about this episode, and I'm not going to credit the right person, so I'm not going to credit anybody because I have no idea who said it. But somebody said, the thing that makes Game of Thrones great is that they can kill off a minor character and we're sure. all fucking crying. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a great point. That's unbelievable. And that says a lot about the writing of the show and the acting on the show and, and just everything about it. And I watched this episode and as I, I said, we knew the episode had been leaked. We didn't, I, I knew no spoilers. I did not watch it. I did not read a spoiler, but I knew the episode had been leaked and that people had posted reaction videos. So we were guessing about who was going to die. Right. When previously on Game of Thrones started and it showed Willis, I said, fucking Hodor is going to, no, I'm not crying. She was. She's not anymore. <laughs> She's crying during my speech. I have that power over people, I guess. I didn't even listen to Dean's speech. No, just kidding. Anyway, so previously on Game of Thrones, we see Willis and we were watching this with our friends. Yep. Um, and I said, Hodor's going to die. I know it. Fucking Hodor's going to die. The whole episode, I was just preaching on how Hodor was going to die. Yes. So this was not a surprise to me. Yes. I knew this was coming and I feel like the show set it up very well. So to so that if you were watching the show, you knew it was coming. I don't know what people are saying in the chat, but Dean's laughing. Mando so Torn says you're making him water the hard way. <laughs> that's comedic gold. Uh, that's fucking funny shit. God damn, that's funny. Anyway, my serious point ends with, I knew this fucking shit was going to happen. And I cried like a little bitch in front of everybody in the room. And everybody else was tearing up too. And guess what? When I rewatched it, I cried again. So I didn't even care. Brutal. It's the fucking truth. And, you know, this is going around in the chat and I cannot agree more. And it's this. Hodor is the most painful death in the series without a question. And it's because he's completely and utterly innocent in all things. And I'm sure you, you're going to... I mean, Marcella's death is hard. because Shireen. She's, She's innocent. Shireen's death is hard. That was the last hard. time I cried at the show was when yep. Shireen died. Shireen's death, death is hard, right? But Hodor has no real ill will towards anyone. And I think what makes it so hard... Yeah, Shireen's death had me in tears. But, but Hodor's did too. Shit. But Hodor, I will say this. The reason it was so hard was that it, he has no political ambition. All he was doing was sacrificing himself willingly. He was willingly sacrificing himself. Shireen was taken against her will and murdered. And that sucks. Yes, but there is a difference between how it makes you decided, feel emotionally. decided that he was going to die at the door to help this kid get into the woods. And that's exactly what he did. And that's all he ever did was serve Bran till the end. And that is all. I hope Bran doesn't fuck it up and make this death all for nothing. Honestly. Can we say a couple of things? Sure, we can say as many things as you want to say. So I'm gonna get. I'm, I'm gonna bring it back to reality. I'm gonna bring it back out of Emotion Town and bring it back to Logic Town. I'm gonna try. I need some tissues, but I'm working on it. How much of an actual head start does Bran have? <laughs> oh my God! Yes, let's like talk about 40 this. Seconds? Oh my God, for real. But you know what's gonna happen, right? And people are talking about this on the internet. Benjamin Stark. That's a theory. Oh my God, I fucking hope so. I'm really excited about it, honestly. That's a big theory that Benjen Stark's going to show up. I'm really, really into this theory. I'm super excited about it. I'm really excited about this. <laughs> if Benjen Stark shows up. Now, if you go, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want to spoil anything. Go back and watch the season six teaser trailer. You're going to see some imagery there that may, 
that may give you some information as to what's going to happen with Bran. I don't want to say it as a spoiler on this, but watch the teaser trailer for season six and look at some of the imagery now. It is quite revealing now that you know the direction of the stories. Well, I know what I'm going to do when this podcast ends. Benjen Stark is a good theory because who the fuck else is out here? We've never seen... I know people have said Benjen Stark's a, 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 a white walker now. I don't know. But I do know he has range beyond the wall north and he has been never seen again. He could have been killed by wildlings. He could be a frozen husk somewhere. But isn't that boring? It's boring. In bad writing. If he disappears beyond the wall and we haven't seen him, he's alive. Just like the hound is alive. All right, chat room? We'll see. That's what I have to say about that. We'll see. Benjamin's coming back and then the fucking hound is coming back and it is a great time in my life. Boom. There you have it. And then some people on my Deadpool are going to die next week. So, yes. Well, Hoarder, Hodor, I will miss you greatly. And uh, boy, that's sad shit. All right, let's get to our listener comments. But first, let's cue up some music. I have an email that I would like to read. You go, sir. Ryan Tierney writes in. And uh, boy, he's, uh, he's right on the, on the ball with what we were saying. Just wanted to speculate on what's next for Brandon Muir. I don't care how long Hodor holds the door. For them, there's no possible way they can outrun the White Walkers as well as the crazy rage virus-like zombies, right? I think they're called Whites, but yes, I agree with you. He continues, I mean, those things were moving. When the Whites were running, oh, he corrects himself. When the Whites were running along the walls and ceilings, it sort of brought up the mental image of the orcs and goblins in the minds of Moria. Agreed. 100% agreed. Great, great connection. He then says, there's no way the White Walker army is going to stop coming. So if I'm being generous, I'll give Bran and Mira maybe five minutes. They are in need of some serious rescuing, which makes me wonder who could be that far north of the wall in a position to help our two fleeing heroes. Perhaps Benjen Stark. All we know about Benjen is that he went north of the wall ranging in season one, and we never see him since. Could we be in for a Stark reunion with Bran and his uncle? God, I hope so. I get, I get the vapors just thinking about it. Whoa. Indeed, there may be some evidence to support this based on those findings. He then says, if Branamir somehow just stroll away from that tree with no help at all, I think we'll be calling bullshit. We have heard Benjen's name dropped several times throughout the series, so bringing him back at some point would make sense. What do you guys think? I love it. I think it's great. If they got away somehow, that would be like Walking Dead-esque. Well, they're not going to get killed. So, no, but that's what I'm saying. That's why they have to have something happen. They can't just magically get away because they rolled under a dumpster. Fair enough. Fair enough. Should I read my short comment or my long comment first? Start with your long one. Okay. My long comment this week, and there were many to choose from, and people should really go to the Game of Thrones group on Facebook because it's incredible. My comment this week is by Big Lou. Big fucking Lou. I was waiting for that. Thank you. It says... So, best episode of the season so far, or perhaps the most emotional, if not, the best consecutive set of episodes of the show so far, must be up there. The realization that Hodor has lived his entire life to allow for this one incredible act of self-sacrifice, and the sacrifice of the direwolf shortly before, had more impact on me than anything in the show since the Red Wedding, though can't help thinking this sacrifice can't buy them all that much time. True. So much has happened this season. Even the parts I couldn't care less about, Danny and Arya, had stuff happening. Nothing like determining you only have a few episodes left of all time to get a bloody move on, clearly. This episode. The Starks ride to war. Littlefinger gets put in his place. Varys Varys gets put in his place by someone with real knowledge. Bran, to no one's surprise, screws everything up. (laughs) 
<laughs> elves created the ultimate weapon and lost control of it. Elves with ice slash fire hand grenades. Grand theft ship. And for all those lovers of tropes, a whole bunch of people have it. I'm sorry. A whole bunch of people have made it their mission to go give the great white savior a fleet of ships to sail a vast army she stumbled upon. So she'll be able to go and reclaim the throne. Um, sorry, I lost my place. Um, her evil father lost and that is now occupied by evil people no one likes in a country that should not, but probably will, welcome barbarian hordes raping and pillaging across the land. So everyone should be happy. <laughs> awesome. So good. Yeah. All right. I'm going to actually read a couple because what the fuck? I have... Do you want uh, me to read my short one first? Yeah, go ahead. I have a short comment I'd like to read. Um, it was left by a good friend of the show, John Bucket. Mr. Bucket, sir. Thank you. And his comment states, starts with a cock, ends with lots of crying, just like my sex life. <laughs> I hope Andrea Ramos in the chat will like that because I feel like that's right up her alley. Oh, that is fucking good shit. That's good. All right, I got one. Pete Hammond, I'm a six foot, 250 pound rugby member, r- rugby number eight. For our American friends, that's kind of like a bastard hybrid of a linebacker and a running back. And I fucking cried when Hodor bought it. Brutal, most emotional, and best episode of Great Game of Thrones so far. Shit got real. Yeah, it did. I got another one I want to read. Ready? Go. Marcus Patrick Thompson says, I like the metaphorical coming of winter with the literal killing of summer. Oh, that's a good observation. And the knowledge oh bomb that the kings that the Knights King Mark on Bran allows the Whites and Walkers to cross magical barriers like the Weirwood Tree and say the wall, maybe? Whoa, what? Imagine if they just walk through the wall. Fuck. It seems as if the Knights King is now after Bran, a green seer, supposedly the last one of his kind. The children of the forest were all green seer and they created the walkers, and maybe he wants to kill him so he can rest. Oh, damn. That is good shit by Marcus Patrick Thompson. There's a lot of good shit on there. I want to read every single comment, Me honestly. Too. They're and that so was good. my fucking problem. They're so fucking good. I just wanted to read, like, their, when I wrote on Facebook that I was crying like a bitch, like, the comments that people responded with were incredible. And I want to read all of those, too. This yeah. Facebook page is actually just amazing. It's so good. Great shit. Great episode. Awesome comments. Thank you so much for writing in. I think it's time. It's time for the Deadpool. <gasps> the Deadpool. All right, talk to me about the Deadpool. Guess who's not on the board still? The two hosts of this podcast who are supposed to be experts at this shit. Yay, experts. That's not the fucking truth. But if anybody watched Next Time on Game of Thrones, this chick right here is about to get at least two people on her Deadpool. For sure. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw it out there. I feel yep, pretty good. pretty good about that? I feel pretty good about it. So, there is only one bit of movement in the Deadpool. Uh, Lady Christina Brown, the Red Woman, as she is called is still tied for first place, at least, with the deaths of Alistair Thorne, Ollie, and Roose Bolton. But she now has company up there with Joe Polcini. Newly named. Hold on. Joel Polcini. Newly named the holder of doors. <laughs> you son of a bitch. With Hodor. Good Lord. Bowen Marsh and Alistair Thorne. Awesome. Um, I think he might win the Deadpool. I'm just going to throw it out there because now also he has Kevin Lannister and Masande, and I feel like that's pretty reasonable that that might happen. It's possible. Um, in second place, we still have uh, Jay Fink, the Faceless Man, Kelly Beam, Breaker of Chains, Maria Khaleesi Kirby, Kirby, 
Kirby. Kirby. <laughs> Let's try that again. Maria. Um, Sir Nathan Tamulus, sort of moaning. Hello, ladies. <laughs> Lady Steph Dion, Wardeness of the North. Steve Renald, the King Beyond the Wall, and Sir Tori, the Hunter of Heads. Outstanding. Um, then we have the middle of the pack and the epic failures, a.k.a. the bottom feeders. But uh, that's what's going on in the Deadpool right now. David Earl wants to say, hey, I got on the board too in the chat. He's telling you. Good Lord. Let me find you, David Earl. Let's see what your name is. Earl David of House Sunshine. Yes, that <laughs> is right. You do now have a death, the Blood Raven. Boom. Good work, sir. Good work, sir. Good work. Very nice. All right. So... Parting question. Sure. After the, I know it was very, very hard to recover from this death. I know it's very hard thinking about it. And I know that in Ollie's final moments, as he lay swinging from the hangman's noose. I was like, yes. And you were devastated. Do you still think it's more devastating than Hodor's death? Sweet, sweet Prince Ollie. I'm pretty sure if I could see Ollie killed again, I'd be like, score. Really? (laughs) How many Ollies would you kill to bring Hodor back? I can't even give how many, you a see, number. How many innocent children from marauding wildlings would you put to the sword to bring Hodor yeah, back? I would not do such a thing. But if they were Ollie, <laughs> if they were actually Ollie and had stabbed Jon Snow, oh. a thousand so times So you don't agree with my premise, I guess, is what you're saying. Not to kill children? Fair enough. Because we shouldn't kill children, but we should kill Ollie. <laughs> Cooper in the chat says 10,000. Holy shit. How Stark remembers is going low with 14. <laughs> <laughs> I want. All right, here we go. Okay, here we go. Thank you very much for tuning in. It was a blast. We had a lot of fun. We really looked forward to this episode. We hope you guys had a lot of fun. We for sure had a shitload of fucking shitloads of fun. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just say this is 4.5 penises out of five. 4.5 full frontal males out I of can't five. Wait to see what Jamie Loma says in his uh, blog pretty, about pretty, how many penises it is. Yeah, pretty high up there. It was awesome. And uh, I really liked it. I thought it was very tense. The last 10 minutes were great, but don't discount the rest of the episode. There's a lot of moving parts. Things are coming to a head. It's going to be really exciting. And uh, I appreciate you guys tuning in every week. So awesome. And I just want to say this. Head over to LibertyStreetGeek.net if you love this show. There's a lot of different ways that you can support us outside of hanging out and chat with us. Uh, it can be as simple as sharing or, or, or rating and reviewing us on iTunes. And if you're, uh, if you're a fucking baller, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash LHGmedia or, or patreon.libertystreetgeek.net. And uh, the other thing you can do is, is you can do any of your shopping through our Amazon link, which is amazon.libertystreetgeek.net. And uh, that is all. Buy Jessica? your Hodor bobbleheads on <laughs> Amazon and use our link. Someone in the chat asked when voting for the podcast award starts, and that is on May 29th. Indeed. Um, you wonderful people nominated us for two awards besides some for the science serious... fiction. Let's be specific. Oh, though. I'm sorry. Yes. For go. the science fiction films, for the science fiction film podcasts. But, uh, uh, but we know. We had to pick one podcast. It means everything. All of LSJ Media is included in this. Right. But we're nominated against some serious shit. Yeah. So here's the deal. We we could have put a bunch of shows in, but it costs money to register all of your shows. And why not just have everybody support one show? So when we win this year, next year we'll pick a different one. There you have it. So thanks for your support. Thanks for ch- chiming in. Thanks for anything you guys do for us and for making this way more fun than it would be if nobody was out there. Yeah. Trust me. It is a fucking blast. It's awesome. And uh, I got a question. Does that Hodor bobblehead come with the door? Stop. My heart. I can't take it. All right. You guys have a good one. Bye.
right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for checking out LSG Media's coverage of A Game of Thrones. Make sure you check us out on the web at libertystreetgeek.net. That's libertystreetgeek.net, where you can see other shows we have like The Walking Dead and the Science Fiction Film Podcast. All right, folks, we will catch you next week. Have a good one.